0: Hello and welcome to Dark Souls, the final threshold beyond which games must face their final and toughest opponent, the critical gaming public. My name's Ross, and I'm here with my co-host... It's Joey, but did you mean to say hello and
1: welcome to Dark Souls? Did I say Dark Souls? Yeah, you didn't say Boss Star. You this... said hello and welcome to Dark Souls. That's the second
0: time it's happened. That's troubling. Yeah, hey, we're be talking about Bloodborne. Yeah. The third project by Miyazaki?
1: Yeah, um, kind of his first project where it's really kind of like all his visional of bit, I think, because like Demon Souls he made it was a failed project and they gave it to him yeah, yeah and then dark souls is him fixing that demon souls yeah so like this is kind of like do what you want exactly and He's like um, i have choices but before we talk about
0: you know miyazaki's projects and stuff like that let's talk about what kind of games we've been playing lately
1: Joey, yeah. what have you been playing yeah i guess it's important to realize that we aren't just dark souls the podcast yeah as previously <laughs> so what have you advertised been
0: so what have you been playing lately
1: uh Well, I mentioned Persona 4, and I finished that, so I did Persona 4 and started some of Shin Megami Tensei like 4. I, I feel like you're
0: avoiding that question.
1: Oh, Elden Ring! <laughs> I forgot about Elden Ring! have really been
0: playing nothing but Elden Ring.
1: Well, time happened before that, so I, you know, I did finish up other games, and then we played Journey. I don't think time happened before Elden Ring. Fair enough, it, That's honestly could be a plot point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a deep dive in the lore now. Uh, but yeah, you were playing Persona? Yeah, um, yeah Persona was kind of interesting. I talked about it a little bit last cast. Well, definitely, I definitely want to talk about Persona 5 in a, in a long form, but it was really nice to play a Persona game where the end of it wasn't just infuriatingly long and annoying, yeah. you know? There's definitely, like, there was, like, a time I came home and I'm like, time to be Persona 4, and then I spent, like, two hours watching cutscenes, and I'm like, I guess I'm going to bed. So it kind of does that, but, like, it's much better, it's good throughout the whole game, and the end dungeons are, like, really creative and fun and the bosses like actually make you you like if you're like if this lasted one more turn i couldn't make it yeah you and, showed like, me that
0: one in dungeon for for p4 yeah 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 that w- that looked really sick with the uh, all the like super like saturated colors and the and the weird geometric lights and everything it was like really cool to to go
1: through the whole dungeon it, it's cool and surreal they do a cool like plot point thing where it's like there's like bonus content based on an old japanese myth about like Inzangi and in, Inzami. And it's just kind of like an Orpheus tale where someone dies and the other one has to go to the underworld to rescue it. Yeah. But when they go to the underworld, Inzami, the evil one, uh, is like a horrible rotting pile of flesh. And is just like, I'm going to murder a thousand people every day. Because basically they became a god of destruction. And Inzami's like, well, I will birth a thousand five hundred people every day to counteract that. And you just hear that myth in class and then you meet in zami and go into their dungeon it's weird because it's persona but like it's just evocative enough where you're like this feels transcendental to this sort of like slice of life like high school anime thing the game mostly is like most of the game is just like oh i'm dealing with growing up you know and a lot of that stuff is good but it's it's i always like that persona pulls further back into like cosmic stuff you yeah. know what I mean well they say
0: that about a lot of JRPGs yeah a lot of times it's like you start you start fighting rats and you end
1: fighting God
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah 100% yeah. I mean that's uh I'll do a quick drive-by for Shin Megami Tensei that's why SMT I was so excited to play SMT because I skip all this stuff on like who's the head do you want to put on which girl's lap Ugh. and uh yeah because you know yeah a Japanese game <laughs> that has <laughs> dating elements but they replace it with just like Pure fucking metal. Like, Shin Megami Tensei starts off in uh, the fourth one. They're usually not in this setting. Start off in a medieval setting. Uh, and then, pretty early in the game, you find out it's built on top of an apocalyptic Tokyo. Like, you're in New New York from uh, uh, Futurama. Yeah. Like, this, the city is built on, on top of it, but the city is de-technological-fied down. You know, sure. it's, they're still medieval times, but people are like, look, I have a gauntlet with an LED light on it and they're communicating to it and it's just future tech. And then, yeah, just the world's overrun by demons and you're mm-hmm. just like, man, everything about this world is metal. It's kind know? of the
0: premise of, uh, Horizon actually. Zero Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, the, the, the series now. That
1: makes know? sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, uh, there was, you know, it's the, it's the classic, they had a race. I don't know if it was a race. They had people that were super technologically advanced and then some kind of cataclysm happened. And all that's left is a bunch of, like, tribal people and, Mm. like, robot dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. And they do a really cool thing with it. It's sort of, like, there's alignment stuff in Shin Megami Tensei, but it's not like if you played, like, Nazi Republic or most other alignment stuff where it's, like, do you want to be, like, a really nice person or just, like, an absolute bag of dicks? (laughs) It's, there's uh, chaos and order are the two alignments. There's neutral, too. But if you do order, it doesn't mean you made a better world. Like, the angels beat the demons in the order endings of the Shin Megami Tensei's, but it tends to kind of depict, like, an authoritarian, like, dystopic future, right? Just beating the demons isn't necessarily the good the good ending. So it really makes you look at, like, order and chaos, like, through a different lens on. These both have, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. And I think it's, like, the, the, you get so much more subtlety and ambiguous and, like, like, far-reaching concepts in Shin Megami Tensei than you do in Persona. Yeah. <laughs> but Persona also just is, like... All their UI is fantastic. All their music is fantastic. Like, they just, they really, like, it's really easy to play Persona, I guess, and I think that's why the series is more popular, but if you like, like, the intense elements of Persona, Shin Megami Tensei is just that and uncut and everything is hard. They, like, never hold your hand and they just make it balls to the wall difficult. It does sound interesting. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Unfortunately, I played four, four or five hours of SMT and then I'm like, Elden Ring exists now.
0: Yeah, that's been my problem. To say I've been kind of only playing Elden Ring is exactly true. I've been pretty much only playing Elden Ring. Um, I mean, you played that, uh,
1: we played uh, Journey Together and you played uh, that indie game. So
0: I I, I have played a few other games. I was doing some modded Terraria. I've been playing the Calamity mod, which is a a big overhaul mod uh, that adds a bunch of, you know, post-game content and stuff, which Terraria is the kind of game that just ends when you beat the final boss, even though like you can still craft stuff. Like the final boss drops crafting materials for the end game stuff. Like the final, you know, the top tier weapons and stuff, which is always really disappointing because you have no, you have no worlds left to conquer. You know, you've already beaten the final boss. Why do you need better stuff? It's, it's whatever. But these huge overhaul mods, they tend to not solve that problem. They tend to just make more content after the boss, Mm -hmm. after the moon Lord. But because you're already trained in your brain to know he's the, he's the final boss, it all feels like extra stuff. So it kind of creates a, a, a weird ending where you're just like, Oh, I I beat Moon Lord. The the game's over, but there's all these extra, you know, special bosses I can fight now with the superpower weapons. But they just in the same way Moon Lord did. Uh your brain's just being tricked. But that is being that's been a lot of fun. I'm hoping to uh finish that pretty soon. I did play Journey at, at your behest. And Journey was a journey. Yeah,
1: I don't want to talk about it until you played it because once you kinda of talk about it. <laughs> yeah. J- journey
0: is uh, as we've sort of described you know privately it is sort of like an abstract uh game you just kind of walk through areas and you 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 don't have any voice lines or anything like that you just walk through places and experience the game as this abstract art concept and there's a lot of stuff looking at like the achievement stuff there's a lot of stuff that i missed there's like you can go through with like uh people that join you going
1: going through the game yeah. and stuff like that I, I want to go back to Journey, honestly, but... Yeah, it's it's really short. It's an hour and a half, right? Yeah, it, and so a lot of the times that will turn people off, but I think, like, I played it with a friend and the whole time we were just like, oh my god, what is this? How does this work? What What, what is even this game? Like, it, you constantly are questioning the experience you're going on yeah. in a way that I think makes all of the other stuff pop, you know? Like, you were playing the game and you were like, is this plot of this game just technology is bad? And it's like, you can definitely have that as like a charitable art, sorry, a, a read of the, of the text they give you. But like, it's not about like a message they're trying to say. It's about how they make you feel the message instead, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, there's really very few actual times where something hostile is near you. Like, it's just overall yeah. the times you encounter, you know, but every time you, you are in a hostile environment, You feel it. Like, I feel like it's actively terrifying. Yeah, the
0: the hostility in the game is oppressive Mm
1: -hmm. when it's
0: there. And when it's not there, the game is completely freeform. Yeah. You know? And it really, like, it drives home the sense of freedom in a game in a way that you don't see in a lot of other games. And and they
1: show you the freedom when they take away the freedom. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like, um... Very I, I
0: differentiate it from games that are that are supposedly like super open world, super freedom, like you know Grand Theft Auto or you know anything Rockstar makes, really.
1: Uh, because make other games,
0: <laughs> uh, Red Dead. I know. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But.
1: That's just Grand Theft Auto. Those powers. games are,
0: are, yeah. Those games are considered to be, you know, like ultimate freedom games. Oh, you can do whatever you want, but the only things you can do are mostly murder populations of people in mm. various ways. Yeah. And that's fine. That's a, you know, that's a, a sense of freedom. But there's
1: nothing to contrast that to. Except that is what the Republicans are talking about. That's what they want. All that freedom.
0: Yes. to just murder populations of people. Yeah, that's why their freedom revolves around guns. Yeah, but, um. <laughs> but. That, f- the freedom in those games are not contrasted against anything. You don't feel free. You just feel like that's the baseline. That's what you should be, you know? You should, you should be able to do whatever you want within the con- constraints of the game. Whereas Journey has this amazing uh, moment at the end. I'm gonna, it's kind of a spoiler, but like it's a feeling you get. So it's not really a spoiler, but the game at the very end just kind of lets you fly around, like really just freeform, do whatever you want after going through like a, a really difficult trudge like snow and stuff that's like taking all your powers all your ability to move all that and you're just like hiding from the constructs that are searching for you and it's one of the most freeing mo- it's one of the most freeing feelings i've ever experienced in a game it's the kind of thing like you you really search for and i can't describe until you feel it yourself Yeah,
1: it feels like a true victory lap it really does
0: and so i think journey captures that feeling in a way that like all these you know limitless choice games never could
1: yeah, and it, it's free on PSN now, and it's uh, real fun. Like, I just think it's, a it's, if you have any amount of time to play a video game, you can just knock it out, and you'll be very happy that you did, and you'll have, like, a thing to reference in your brain a lot for a long time. I just think it's a really valuable experience, and it kind of, it really makes you think about what a game can be, right? Like, games don't have to all fit in, like, one sort of mold. Yeah. When you're trying to genrefy this game, it's hard. You're like, oh, it's kind of like a puzzle platformer, but then after a while, you're like... It's not really what it is, you know what I mean? It's not really like a, you know, a gone homer, like a walking simulator, right? It's not It's not any of these things. It's just, it's its own game. And, it, you know, I, li- I like games that inspired you to think about what the medium could be. Exactly. It's definitely a game I'm going to come back to. It's a reverse David Cage, if you would.
0: <laughs> and so, the other thing we've both been playing, we're not going to talk about it too much, but
1: Elden Ring. We have to mention it. Yeah. Let me be clear, we're not going to talk about too much at this exact moment. <laughs> we will talk about this too much. Yes. At a point. I'm actually really interested what that
0: cast is going to look like, because my feelings on the game are so wild in a lot of ways.
1: We definitely both have like a lot to say about like the pros and cons of the open world. Yeah. You know? Where I think some people just treat like all the bigness as just cheerily better. You know? And yep. we don't necessarily stand on that. But there's definitely a lot of value in the size yeah. of
0: I've come around. Okay. Like being in that, being at that game at Ground Zero was eye opening in a lot of ways. You know, I really had to learn. It's it was kind of like playing Sekiro for the first time, where like it's it's the kind of game that really hits Souls veterans really hard because mm. it changes how the game plays. Yeah, you know? and I think they all do that, which we'll definitely talk about about this
1: first, this one coming up. Yeah, except you know three didn't. <laughs> like, well, no, the ones that are different name names. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. every one, they changed the name. Dark Souls two and three, they did out of. Uh, our sheer wants and like they made three so reluctantly. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: but uh, Elden Ring has been like pretty incredible. I've you know I've started like six or seven different characters, just playing and replaying and replaying. And I haven't even beaten the game. I haven't finished it once. I just keep starting again because the game like compels me to to learn more, to do better, and it's like f- from my first character where I was like struggling to beat the first boss. To this last character, where I'm laughing at the first boss. Yeah, I'd be it's, the, it's, my, it's been the a boss, journey.
1: Of oh, the first boss, first try.
0: Yeah, but you watched me do it, so I, I assume I saw. I King mean, I war.
1: watch it kind of on my phone, and I I guess I learned what not to do because you were struggling. I was struggling with, with that for a bit. But so yeah, brags
0: I, by me. I showed you how to play the game, Uchi
1: boy for life. Yep. I watched you play the game and then said level up health, and then you listened to me. <laughs>
0: Samurai's broken. You just played the broken class.
1: Yeah, I deduced it by reading numbers. <laughs> I looked at what they all had to offer, and I said, this one sounds the best. Uh, Samurai is legitimately broken. <laughs> We're
0: pretty sure that that'll get a nerf one day. Because unsheath is too powerful. Yeah, well, let's not talk about that now. Let's just live yeah. with our with our pretty toys. Miyazaki, stop listening ten seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> don't nerf Samurai. We don't need it. But, yeah, El- Elden Ring, it had, it had that uh, everybody on day one was calling it a masterpiece. And I don't think that people really felt that yet. You know? Well, that's just a
1: thing. I, I've talked about this before, but like with these like games that get this amount of hype, people decide their opinion before they play. Yeah, and that's just a huge part of the industry. Where whenever one of these games come out, everyone. That's how it happened with uh, Red Dead. Yeah, you know, is the Red Dead was already being heralded. As a masterpiece before it hit shelves. And then everyone has to tell themselves that they really like Red Dead if they do or don't. You're allowed to like Red Dead. I'm not saying it's horrible. I'm just saying there's no way (laughs) all the people in the first hours are saying this is the greatest game of all time aren't just buying into the hype and the FOMO and all that kind of nonsense. Exactly.
0: Um, Now, I do think Elden Ring is a masterpiece.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. One of the things that I think is the most important thing about this game, and it's actually kind of the value of the marketing, is uh, we see a lot of people who don't play Souls games playing it and yeah. in, in sticking with it, yeah. right? I definitely see a lot of bad advice online. Like, I saw someone who's like, I'm, I'm playing my first From game. I don't know what I'm getting into. And someone's like, don't look anything up, you know? Yeah, and it's sad. like, don't tell p- people how to, like, Like I, I think it's a very valuable tool, especially for new players, because they could play a whole game before realizing upgrade your weapons, for Christ's sake. Exactly. You know, like...
0: There, there's a lot of things the game doesn't tell you. Like, they have a joke of a tutorial, and that's it. And it's
1: more than they have ever done in the past. Yeah, th- this tutorial
0: literally only tells you how to press your buttons. It's it's kind of a waste of time. It's, like, worse than the tutorial in, in Dark Souls 2, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, the only saving grace is it's much faster.
1: And, there, and there's the game gives you a lot of tools, and some tools veteran players will not, like, summons. They're not going to want to use yeah. summons as much because it can trivialize a lot of fights. I accidentally trivialized a fight today. Yeah, it was sad. <laughs> Uh, and I was only doing it to look at, uh, second phase at the time, but it just easily won. The summon turned out to be way too strong, and there's no way to, like,
0: stop the fight.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? But the thing is, you can let, like, people who are going to struggle with this game are obviously should be using summons. That's what it's for. They're pulling in a new audience, and they're giving them tools, uh, to win. I, I always say to any person who's kind of new to From Software, they'll go to a pop out any boss fight, and they'll be like, well, I cheese that boss fight, and i like, there's no cheesing in From Software. No. There's just winning. You whatever, win or you lose. Yeah, whatever you do, it's fair. I don't care if you shot Manus on the other side of a wall yeah. and killed Manis. That's they they yeah. didn't want that there. It wouldn't be there. Everything they do is unrelenting. You're allowed to do that too. They have the option to update these
0: games. And they do.
1: Yeah. They sometimes they take out stuff they think is too good. Like lightning in Dark
0: Souls 2. Yeah. Uh they but they knew they knew how hard manus was, and they were like yeah, If you want to shoot them with arrows, you can.
1: Yeah, and so, that's fine. So I'll just say, if anyone is like, oh, I'm I, you know, i excited about Elden Ring, I'm excited about the hype, but I don't know if it's for me. I just think the game gives you enough tools to succeed, and you just have to not, if you lose your mind from dying, sorry, maybe, maybe from software games are not for you. <laughs> but if you're fine, just, ma- like, you'll make progress. There's a difference between a game that's so hard, you literally make no progress. Yeah. And and games where you do, and yeah. I think this is the, the latter, former, the former, whichever one was the good one. Yeah, yeah.
0: Actually, I saw a tweet recently, uh, literally yesterday, by uh, Noah Caldwell-Gervais, which is one of my absolute favorite YouTube, uh, yeah, people. He ma- he makes long form essays on on video games, and he's been doing Dark Souls, but he's always been kind of ridiculed for being bad at games. Mm-hmm. Like when he shows gameplay, he just kind of bad. You know, and everybody's, every, you know, people make fun of him in the comments, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, what I learned is he, he put this in his, in like a thread where he was like, Yeah, I actually was avoiding the Soul series because everyone said I was bad at games. And I legitimately took that to heart and thought there was no way I would be able to play Souls games. Like I just, yeah. I literally wouldn't be good enough. And then he's like, But then I did them because he's doing what we're doing, which is a, a whole Soul series, which I'm more than excited to, to watch. But he's like, actually, uh, you don't have to be good at games. Like, I learned and played the games just fine, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And I didn't have any more problems than anybody else did. So, like, this sort of, this is me speaking, of, but this sort of get-goodism of, like, you can't summon, you can't get your friends. Like, no, just beat the game. Yeah. Just play it how it's fun to play. Hey, I have a solo character, and I have a co-op-only character. I'm having fuck tons of fun with my co-op only character. Yeah, and yeah, we're decimating bosses, but
1: that's like, it doesn't matter. I'm having fun. And me and Ross do the stuff. We're like, do the no summons, the no, you know, sure, but because it's fun. Yeah, because I like fun for us.
0: If there's there's plenty of things like we talked about the mimic tier trivializing um, a core boss a minute ago, but there's we've talked about many like just bullshit boss fights in the game that we're like we're absolutely gonna summon for that. Because it's does it's not fun to fight them. They were badly designed, and we don't want to do it solo. If yeah. I can trivialize it or fucking skip it, I will. You know, because I don't have that. I don't have that get
1: goodism in me. You know, yeah. I just, and, and I just want to do the thing that makes the game fun. Elden is pretty good at making the core challenges, the critical path challenges, fair. You don't feel like oh, so unfair. I have to summon. You know what I mean?
0: With exactly. A few, with a
1: few exceptions, obviously. Exactly. But.
0: And of course, the open world adds to that. The idea of like. If you're having trouble, go somewhere else, you know? That doesn't always work yeah. in this game. Like, we will talk about that. I don't want to get... We're already a little bit... Yeah, yeah we, are, we already
1: went too far. So yeah, Elden Ring's super fun. We're having a lot of fun with it. We'll have more to say. Yeah. If, um, you're, if you're questioning if you should play it, but you think Dark Souls looks kind of fun,
0: just do it. Elden Ring is fantastic. It's the highest learning curve, I think, of any Souls game.
1: So, like, it's it, look it up. Yeah, but I, I still think it's not as bad as Sekiro, and even Thirty Still. Sekiro is its own thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Sekiro Sekiro like, requires you to legitimately study. Yeah. We
0: we can argue about that, but Elden Ring has like the most systems and shit that you have yeah, to course, understand yeah. that it doesn't explain. So like. Even for Souls Veterans, it becomes kind of a confusing mess right off the bat. But and then once you understand how the game is played, it becomes much easier. But the way it, uh,
1: it's so popular, we also have the most amount of people talking about it. Yeah, but my, f-
0: my Twitter feed is nothing but Elden Ring yeah. all day.
1: So a a lot of those questions that you might have into the game, you more you can ask literally random people, you know. Yes. And that's not that wasn't always the case. Yeah. Right? Like uh, I meet strangers, and then we just talk about Elden Ring for twenty minutes. That yeah. just has been happening. Uh,
0: I've been I've been streaming Elden Ring nonstop, and my friends have like slowly been buying Elden Ring and coming onto stream and just asking me questions about it. Yeah. Um. There's there's a minor chance that if you if you're listening to this, I'm playing Elden Ring or I'm on stream at least. You can ask me. Yeah. You can just ask me. Foster 4. Check me on stri- on Twitch. Yeah. I also am very knowledgeable about this game. You could ask Joey, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, he knows.
0: Far more than I do about the game. Yeah, I'll answer
1: questions because I'm also on Ross's stream a lot. Yeah, and I'm I'm really into I'm really into answering uh, <laughs> from software yeah, questions. Joey helps me out when I'm like I'm like
0: I'm in a boss fight. I can't tell you how to get somewhere. Yeah,
1: Look yeah. it up.
0: But yeah, that's what we've been doing lately. That's been, that's been our games lately.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's probably gonna be some more Elder Wing going into next month, but uh, there's gonna be some. I'm gonna stop
0: streaming it very soon. I just picked up a huge pack of indie games. You have it on Sighted. Well, I've talked about Unsighted before. Okay. I don't think you talked about it, did you? I did. Fair enough. I've talked about it in in previous casts. I think specifically in Hollow Knight. Sure. Uh so I'll I'll do an honorable mention here. I did finally finish Unsighted. It is an indie game uh what do you call it? It's a it's an isometric uh Metroidvania kind of a Souls like. It's not really a Souls like. It's, it's
1: an I would call it an homage to a bunch of Super Nintendo games. It's a it, it really It works. has a ton of homages to Super Metroid and Link to the Past. Yes. Right. And it's at that isometric perspective like Earthbound. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good version of all of those games done really smartly. Yeah. Uh it's it's really
0: fun. It's it's made like by and for the LGBT LGBT community. Uh, every every character in the game is, like, gay or trans. It also gives you
1: a really, like, Steven Universe 5. Yeah. Like, not just because that's, like, the other gayest thing I can yeah. think of. But, like, you're, like, I really liked all the models I saw. The character models. Yes, you know? Yes. You're, like, oh, you, like, are well-designed. Like, I like you. They're, yeah. They're,
0: like, they're, they're Android people, and they can just kind of assemble their bodies how they want, and they really go ham on that. You know? In a way that, like, if we didn't have this weird gender-constricted world that we live in, uh, everybody would do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a glimpse into a world that, that could have been better, except, you know, they're also like kind of in, a, in an apocalypse and everything. Everyone's life is literally on a timer. It's my favorite thing about the game is that everyone's life is literally displayed to you in a number of hours. And you can increase that by giving them a very rare item called meteor dust. So you literally choose kind of who lives and who dies. And if you beat the game fast enough, nobody will run out of time. But if you don't, people will start disappearing from your world. And I think it's kind of a statement about how the LGBT community feels these days, you mm-hmm. know, where like there's this deep sense of community between them, but it really feels like the world is hostile to them, you know, and that like everyone's days are kind of numbered, you know, in a, in a really like terrifying yeah. way. And it, but instead, instead of like dwelling on how awful that is, they give you this, uh, the developers here, they give you this, this incredible power fantasy where like you have the power to save everybody. And, uh, you do. It's really fun yeah it honestly looked really clever and yeah it's also super well made it's like it's built for speedrunning and stuff so you can break the game in myriads of ways it's kind of like Hollow Knight where the objective is just kind of get a it's the Dark Souls thing where you like get the few uh, you know the the big souls that you need and shit but you can get them in any order whenever you want Uh, and there's tons of ways to break the game and so speedrunning it's like really fun
1: yeah super interesting game but want to move on to Bloodborne yes let's move on to Bloodborne He saw the shop. You will be one. Soon
2: later. Oh. A hunter, are am. A hunter should hunt beasts, even hunteth to me.
0: All mangled and twisted with every inside on the outside for all the world to see.
2: Eyes on our bones to cleanse our beastly idiocy. What a mess you've been caught up in.
1: So as I like to do, I like to kind of start off with a little bit of the, the historical context, which you kind of heard about if you listen to our Dark Souls 2, because these games are intertwined.
0: Yeah, so we won't reiterate ourselves. Listen to the Dark Souls 2 podcast.
1: I'm going to reiterate a little bit. Uh, so it uh, came out, I mean, it's a, it's five hours of podcast before this. <laughs> Dark Souls 2 was already out, but Miyazaki wasn't working on it. Obviously, Miyazaki being the one who worked on Dark Souls 1 and Demon's Souls, the more successful of From Software's work at this point. And so this was the first game we back, Miyazaki back after just the smash shit was of Dark Souls 1. Yeah. And Dark Souls 2 was starting to get people being like, this isn't as good as 1. Which is true. But again, you know, Dark Souls 1 is arguably the best game ever made. But when Bloodborne came out, everyone was nonstop stop saying the same thing that's now ubiquitous with uh, people talking about the series. Oh, the Miyazaki touch. Yeah. Oh, the... The shortcuts that curl back on themselves, you know, the level design, the world design, the little bit of lore sunk into every little thing. We saw that with Bloodborne. We saw Dark Souls renewed with a completely different and new coat of paint, which is the first time we actually really have seen this happen. Yeah. And um, we're guilty of that a bit.
0: Yeah. We we certainly fall into the Miyazaki trap a bit. And I think it's, it's genuinely unfair as the games progress it's more fair when we're talking about like Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne when it's Miyazaki is known of, as a bit of an overlord for for the people that work for him that becomes less true in Dark Souls 3 and later in Elden Ring I don't know about Sekiro but Sekiro is kind of a side he, project he,
1: no he he have worked in Sekiro it's what he does now I think I think he finds a person and he works with them Dark Souls 3 is the exception because that it was three being directors. Well, yeah, but that's because they were already working on it. He became the director of the whole front software during production. Oh, okay. He showed up to Dark Souls 3 being like, what are you guys doing? Are you really making another Souls game? I'm going to help you finish it. Right. But we're going to stop doing this. Uh, Step one. Where's the poison swamps?
0: Yeah. (laughs) What do you mean, swamps? I meant plural. Yeah, they raise exponentially each game. (laughs) Oh, but I don't like to... I don't like to credit Miyazaki too much... With, like, everything in the game. Obviously, they're, they're a joint mm-hmm. project, right? You know, Bloodborne didn't spring, you know, from his mind fully formed. So Yeah,
1: of course. But you also do see what makes Miyazaki different. Like, this is... Yeah. The, the reason I think this started is because you could really clearly see the difference between 2 and Bloodborne. Exactly. And 2 when, and Dark Souls 1.
0: Like, like that's, that is what I'm trying to say. Is like, yes, Miyazaki doesn't have a hand in everything. It's not like we just give him full credit for the game mm-hmm. and nobody else gets anything. But you can tell when Miyazaki's involved. Yeah. Because the game is fundamentally different, and in this case, much better.
1: Yeah. I think you can clearly recognize this style. Because there's something that's so ubiquitous about these uh, From Games is their uniqueness. Yeah. There's always parts in these games where you're like, no other developer would do this. Yeah. Right? And I think a really good example is uh, they made Dark Souls, they make Bloodborne, and they turn weapons into trick weapons.
0: Yeah. That's I a was, lot of work to do that. I was literally thinking about trick weapons. It's, I mean, it's... Phenomenal! It's an incredible choice. Frankly, when I'm, I'm a little shocked hasn't come back. Yeah, to be honest, I know it's like the Bloodborne thing, but you know we've gotten power stancing from two. We've got that back into Elden Ring. Like we
1: could certainly see some trick weapons come out. Yeah, it's just the thing with trick weapons is they either want to. I feel like make. Not that many, but they're all really good. Yeah. Or have a lot of weapons.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of the choice. I'm fine with having not that many, but they're all really good. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Especially in a game, you know, these bigger games that they're making. But there's two elements specifically in Bloodborne that really blow the blow people away mechanically. And that's trick weapons and the rally system. Mm-hmm. Right? So trick weapons are, you can transform your weapon into a different kind of weapon, basically. Um, or give it some kind of property sometimes. So... There's like the mace uh, Tonitris, which is just an electric mace. Its trick is it becomes electric, or it's just a regular mace. It's not particularly interesting, but it's actually unique among the weapons. But then there's like the the starting weapons are like the saw cleaver that that's really just short
1: range or long range. It's not really interesting. If, no, it is kind of interesting because it's 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 a it's a spear, but you can fold in. Fold it in on itself, and then... Yeah, it becomes like a hatchet. A hatchet, right? It's not that complicated, but you get the idea of it. Like, I did thread cane for my run. Yes. Which it starts as a cane, which more or less plays like a a, a longsword, right? And yeah. then you can switch it into a whip, right? That's all... With serrated edges. Yes. Yes. So it changes the range, it changes the arc, it changes the type of damage, the so rate of damage is more to beast, you exactly. know, the speed, and you you become really, really intimately aware of everything your weapon does. Yes. I use the thread game till the end of the game.
0: Now, what's important also is that they introduced trick weapon attacks. So, you could, with the threaded cane, you could swing as the cane and then hit L1, which is the transform, and you would do an, an attack that also transforms your weapon at the same time, making it really fluid to move between the different states of your weapon. Mm-hmm. And for some weapons, like, it is called the Saw Cleaver. Yeah, right? Saw Cleaver. Saw yeah. Cleaver is broken with that. Yeah. For some weapons, like the Saw Cleaver, it is absurd because they do a lot more damage when you do the transformation. So, you'll see speedrunners just like, doing nothing but transformation attacks. It's, yeah, they're just
1: popping open
0: yeah. the fucking spear into their stomach, and that's really cool. Yeah, but even though the Saw Cleaver and the Hunter's Axe, the other f- starting weapon, are both, like, objectively more powerful than the Threaded Cane, I do think the Threaded Cane is the right starter weapon for any given player. For, for like, the first time you play Bloodborne. Because the Threaded Cane is going to get you out of that Dark Souls mindset.
1: That makes um, sense. A lot of people really don't like how low damage a threat Cane starts. Yes. And the traditional starting first weapon is the axe. Yes. People love the axe because yeah, spin to win. Spin to win,
0: yeah. But the threat Cane, while it can have low damage, the damage is still fine. And what's more important is it gives you multiple attack modes, and it challenges you to play in a different way than just hit your opponent as hard as you can. Dark Souls taught you to hit your opponent as hard as you can. You get a sword, you get a spear, you get an axe, and you hit them. The threaded cane is fundamentally different than anything that's happened in Dark mm-hmm. Souls before or really after, right? Yeah. It's one of the most unique weapons in the entire series, and the threaded cane, I think, more than anything else, defines Bloodborne, like what the Bloodborne combat system is about. So, I think everybody should start with the threaded cane at least on their first playthrough because it's going to change the way you understand combat in the game.
1: Yeah. And if you don't understand combat, you'll find out by Gascoigne, hopefully. (laughs) Gascoigne will teach you. Now, uh, I was going to say, uh, my mention for, uh, weapon I is game defining for me is the love, the Ludwig Holy Blade. Sure. I love the Ludwig Holy Blade because it's very, it's the simplest thing where it's, there's a huge ass fucking scabbard on your back for your longsword. And that scabbard just turns your longsword into a greatsword. Yeah. You have to two hand. So you lose the, uh, we haven't mentioned it yet, but you have a gun in this game. Yeah. Doesn't do a lot of damage. <laughs> but you have a gun. It can. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. It allows other things you have to do damage. Yes. But there's a simpleness to the trick weapons that I think really work. Where, like, you just put the sword on your back and you pull out a great sword. Yeah. it feels right. Or you just flick the wrist on your cane and it turns into a whip. The, the animations. Yeah. Are impeccable. They they bring you into the world in a really creative way. Yeah. And, like, it all works together because usually the idea is you have your right-hand weapon and your left-hand weapon is a gun, which is just for parrying. Yeah. Right? Now, so when you're using the Ludwig Holy Sword as a great sword, you can't parry because you're two-handing it, right? But it feels really good to sometimes do, like, a trick change to get your gun back, shoot your gun, and then get a repost and all that stuff. Yeah. The whole combat is a series of interconnected fluid actions. And there's so many weapons that are like
0: that. Some weapons, you just go with the weapons, right? Yeah. Uh, that, sometimes you're just all in on what your weapon does, and that's fine. But yeah, there's, there's like the, the Ludwig Holy Sword. One of the earlier ones is the Kirk Hammer, which is a little sword. It's kind of a, just a a long sword, like an S stock, really, that you just sort of like, you know, flip around. It's not very powerful, but it inserts into a big stone hammer. And, well, I don't think this weapon is particularly good, the animations of doing it are like, are like you go, slash, slash, and, and on your backslash, you put it behind you, and you pull back a huge fucking hammer that you slam on your opponent's head. And it's so satisfying to do that shit, and that's how all the trick weapons feel. Some of them have guns, some of them just, like, explode, some of them do all kinds of bullshit. That's like, yeah truly inventive. Yeah. In you know, way that, the
1: stake driver, right? Yes. The rifle spear. And these are generally bad weapons. Yeah. You know? The Lagarius wheel, it's just a wheel. It's just a wheel that does magic damage. And there's
0: magic in this game too. You yeah, know?
1: it does physical or magic damage, depending on which mode the wheel's in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um they do they have hunter tools that change the way you can move, that change the you can do magic damage with them and stuff like that. You can like they, they allow you to cast like weird spells, you know
1: yeah it's it's uh before we get too much into that yeah, yeah. the w- the one thing I'd say with the weapons I really like too is that they help also define the hunter fights you have in the game, yeah whenever you see a random hunter they're they're probably some of the hardest fights you're gonna do, And each of them, I feel like you just have such an intimate feeling for every trick weapon, just seeing an opponent use it once exactly and I think that's really cool, right, like there's a guy in Bergenworth who's the threaded cane uh guy, and I think everyone knows that yeah. you know like they know specifically the weapons he has. They make an image in your head on what kind of hunter this is, and it's just a little bit of flavor building that the game does so well. Yeah, I think uh, you're
0: talking about the guy that's at the top of the stairs, Bergenworth, right? Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. He also has the hunter weapon, which is the the
0: cost parasite. Oh yeah, yeah. And no. uh, he's also got. I think, I think he's called from Beyond, too. He also has called from Beyond. Yeah, because yeah, he does the ta- And so yeah. this is, I mean, Bergenworth. We'll talk about in a, in a bit, but <laughs> Bergenworth is your first introduction into the game where you start dealing with like cosmic horror and stuff, and basically you encounter a hunter. Who's just got sort of a weapon and... A, he's got a trick weapon and an offhand weapon that you are familiar with. You know what the cane is. You probably know what Rosmarinus is or something similar to it. But then he's he holds his arm out and they become tentacles that 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 throw you to the ground. And he puts his arms above his head and he calls stars from the sky. And you're like... From beyond. Yeah, from... <laughs> and you're like, what? Wh- something. Like, your brain expands, you know? Like, that hunter teaches you something about the world that you didn't expect yeah and that happens a lot in this game where it just kind of keeps growing and and showing you new crazy things you know yeah but to get back to the mechanics the other thing that really revolutionized this game and for some reason hasn't really made a comeback in another game is uh the rally mechanic and the Mm. rally is every time you take damage your health bar displays a, like, it shows the amount of damage you took, but it doesn't immediately take it away.
1: If you played fighting games, this is like blue bar.
0: Yeah, it's like a blue bar, right? So yeah. you, you took the damage, but it hasn't, it hasn't been fully registered yet. You can hit your opponent during a short amount of time and get some or almost all of it back, mm-hmm. depending on how fast and how hard you can hit your opponent back. And the rally mechanic, combined with the fact that this is the fastest game in the entire series, as far as, like, attacking and dodging and stuff goes, Mm -hmm. your your stamina recovers faster than anything else. It really makes you fight front to front with everything. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not all just dodge behind it, even though some of the bosses are. You'll hear about this in our boss ranking. It's not constantly dodge behind it. It's a lot of, if you get hit, don't back away and heal.
1: Go in for the hits. Go in for the rally. You know? Yes. Now, this also segues into a choice that I, most people don't like, the blood vials. Yes. They change healing from being refuelable flasks to consumable blood vials that you can have 20 on your character.
0: 20 to 25, depending on the runes you have. Yeah, to. yeah. Well, I'm going
1: to assume no runes, just
0: for yeah. simplicity's sake. Yeah, it's basically 20.
1: Yeah, and it's a fast heal. You literally... It's basically like taking a diabetes shot.
0: Yeah. Uh, and they have the equivalent power of an Estes flask. Yeah. Like, they heal that much, you know? So you basically have, like, 20 Estus flasks at all times, except you do have to farm them sometimes. Like, you can run out, yeah, you know, because they are consumables and they only, like, drop or you can buy them, but you don't get that many souls in this game. And
1: and they always go up and up and up in price as you progress through storyline moments. And it's just a very bad feeling that if you ever need to farm Estus in the middle of a boss fight. Like if yeah. you're fighting a boss and then you go into a boss room and you have 13 flask, you're like, well, fuck.
0: I've straight up stopped playing characters because of that. Yeah, uh, like I've I talked about this also in our in our boss ranking, uh, which for clarity we've recorded before this. But I had a mage character who worked off all your spells work off quicksilver bullets, mm-hmm. and I straight up ran out of quicksilver bullets fighting Ludwig, and I was like. I don't have the souls to go buy them. I don't have a soul farm to get souls to go buy bullets. And I don't feel like farming bullets. And I just kind of stopped playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I just can't be bothered. I can't be bothered to keep, to keep banging my head against one of the hardest bosses in the game. Yep. Trying, trying to get, I mean, tons of resources. It, it wasn't, I just, I needed to get some bullets. It's like, I needed to get maybe hundreds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it just it feels weird because they're not as prevalent as grasses and demon souls, the previous consumable healing we had. It just it just isn't it's more expensive and it's less common everywhere. Yeah. And it's harder than those guys. I feel like that was an error because in the early game they're
0: pretty common. Mm -hmm. Most things will drop it and it's easy to farm them. You there's like multiple enemies I can point to that will drop two to three almost guaranteed.
1: They actually drop less the more you kill them. Yes, I, I do know about that, which is kind of crazy. But, but the, also, I, I don't see what the problem is with having people have a lot of blood vials.
0: Yeah, there's not. It's just, you're not like
1: making the game easier. You're still using the same twenty vials. Yeah,
0: you can't carry every more, time. You know, yeah. you just have a backlog that's
1: necessary to play the game. And then as the game progresses, enemies just stop dropping them. Yeah, so it's just a weird tension with the mechanics that make you sometimes just kind of stop making progress yeah. in a really unfun, it's, a really unfun it's, way. It's
0: kind of the opposite of what you get in other souls games for so like as you progress and the enemies get harder your healing becomes more more reliable mm-hmm. as you get more flasks, more powerful yeah in this game as you progress in the game and the enemies become stronger healing becomes more scarce yeah and healing is always a percentage of your health yeah so Which, maybe that was intentional to like encourage the rally but like rally's good but it's not that good and it's not that reliable right so yeah. you can't you can't just be like oh rally your health back you know Sometimes you can,
1: and one of the things that helps Souls' punishing difficulty is that you can just fuck around and try stuff out, and you're not going to like lose a permanent resource. Yes,
0: uh, but I mean, if you're
1: fighting King Alant, you might lose levels, and that could be stressful. <laughs> sure, yeah. But in general, most of these games, you can do infinite attempts with no consequences. Yes, you can just keep banging your head against that wall. Bloodborne,
0: it it takes from you. Yeah, you know, and maybe that's
1: part of the horror of it.
0: Yeah, uh, it's not though. This is bad design. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But other than that, also paradoxically, for PvP, you have way too much healing. People, also, no one PvP's. <laughs> yeah, but the people that do are like, yeah, my opponents all have twenty heals, and you're like, yeah, that's got to be really fucking frustrating, mm-hmm. you know? Even even you know today uh, playing uh, playing like Elden Ring and stuff. If I get invaded, I'm like, that guy's got at most like five flasks, you know? Yeah, I can count their heals and be like, okay. Now the fight's real. Yeah. They gotta be out of healing. That's just not true in Bloodborne. You're just like, they always have healing. You know, everyone always has healing. And so, invasions in Bloodborne can get really, really stall heavy. And you're just like, fuck me. So, like, despite the fact that blood vials can be hard to come by, having 20 at once also makes them, like, wildly powerful. Yeah. But a lot of late game bosses, too, will, like, don't run through, like, 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Some
1: some bosses will, like, really stress that 20 number. Yeah, and a lot of it is because, uh, we, we do talk about extensively the boss rankings. They're full of fucking hair and flesh flapping in your face, and you just get hit by shit you don't see. Yeah. <laughs> because they made everything too big and too hairy. Yeah. Uh, another mechanic yeah. thing that's kind of interesting is there's leveling in this game, but it's kind of like a more subdued character building. Yeah. The traits are reduced, I think.
0: There's only, like, five real ones, you know. Well you, there's
1: there's obviously vigor and endurance, right? Yeah. I'm not sure what they're called in this game, but skill and strength which are the main two. And you can build around arcane, but it's different. And you can build around blood tinge, but it's very specific. Yeah. And th- that's a that's a fun one when you first get into
0: the game. You're like, "Okay, what are my stats? You've got okay, uh I think vitality, endurance, got it. Strength, skill. Okay, skill's probably dex, right? But bl- blood tinge, yeah. arcane. Arcane I I guess I get what arcane is, but I sort of didn't think about magic.
1: There was no magic class to start as. What could arcane reference? Yeah, mentioned a little bit before with the Hunter's Souls, but magic is kind of weird, right? You definitely build around it, but it requires you to use your bolts to cast spells. Yeah. Which is a whole heavy resource. It's way more expensive than any mana in previous games. Yeah. Right? And you kind of just find the same couple of spells in form of items around the world. And, like, that's all your spells. Yeah. So it's not like there's a ton of versatility in how you're going to play each of your arcane build. Like, if you have an arcane build, it's probably... That's what all your arcane builds are going to look like. Yes. Um, You might prefer other tools on other runs, and there's pros and cons to it. But in general, most builds are either a dex build or a strength build. The game is very focused on melee combat. It's designed around melee combat. Yeah,
0: it certainly wasn't... It's not like they didn't know you would build an arcane build. But the arcane stuff that are that come out of like hunter tools are there to be supplementary to the main attack, which is yeah, uh, melee combat. They wanted you to do melee, and then sometimes use spells at range.
1: Yeah, and in in the base game, there's no like arrows or anything. Like no. you have a gun, right? But your gun does so little damage. Like, yeah, you have to do. A lot of work to start making gun do anything, and again, it's a very specific path. It's yeah. exactly getting your blood touch high, and exactly getting the Evelyn, and yeah. exactly using the item that increases the and, Evelyn's damage. Yeah, exactly. And beyond that, you have to get the the bone marrow ash,
0: which increases gun damage for one shot. Yeah, you know? So like gun guns
1: become all about bursts at the cost of reusable res- or consumable resources. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to, if you're used to this room looks like it's a huge gang fest, I'm going to uh, take some of them down with arrows, that's not really an option for you. Yeah. You know, you kind of just go in and you fight. Now, I would say the average mob stays the same amount of difficulty throughout the game pretty consistently. Pretty true. Like, you'll definitely get to these mobs in, like, Three or Elden Ring or something, and you're just like, this, I can't do damage to this that's fucking so thing. so much health. Um, so it's not quite like that. So, like, when you get surrounded by eight people in Bloodborne, this is the game you're going to most confidently feel like you get out of that. Yes. And that's a cool thing about the combat. Yeah. Right? But even the stats and the rally mechanic and all the weapons are designed around, you know, g- get as close to your enemy as possible. Yeah. That's also what's cool about
0: rally is if there's multiple targets, it doesn't care who did the damage to you. Mm-hmm. It matters how much damage you're doing and how many hits you're doing. So if one guy hits you for half your health, but there's three guys standing in front of you, you can just swing and hit all three of them and rally three yeah. times.
1: And even if some of them die, you can still rally off their corpses for a bit. Yeah, before which,
0: you. which makes, yeah, you can rally sometimes off corpses. And that makes for some really fun mechanics when you do get surrounded and everybody's like trying to lay into you, but you're laying right back into them. And they're just like, your health is kind of yo-yoing back and forth, mm-hmm. right? Because you're taking a bunch of damage and you're rallying it all back. And it's like,
1: you might come out on top of that. Yeah. One thing I'll say is, I, you know, and I say it a lot in the boss ranking, I do think this game has the worst bosses, but it definitely has the best mobs. It's really fun to fight oh, yeah. mobs yeah. In, in Bloodborne. Just going around the world and just seeing anything happen... And long as it's not a winter lantern that gives you frenzy you're it's gonna be fun, yeah, I like these mobs
0: way more than I like you know basic hollows and shit,
1: yeah, right, mm-hmm. like
0: I've spent so many years fighting
1: hollows that I'm like eventually just give me something else, you know, yeah, Elden ring has done that, but and and the last thing I'd say about kind of the the true them saying to your face, "Get up and be aggressive is the shield thing, yeah, there is no shield, but more importantly, there's one shield. <laughs> And on it, on its flavor text, it says, you know, shields can be useful unless they engender passivity. Um, and I think that really speaks to what, 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 what they're telling you outright, Right? you know. They're saying, uh, put down the shield, pick up a gun, get to work. And every enemy with a shield, in the, there's enemies with that shield you can find. They're the easiest, they're so easy. Yeah, they're jokes. Yeah, yeah, like, everybody with the shield, it's you just shield break them and, and
0: destroy them. You're it's, like, why are not you attacking me? Yeah, idiot. right? Like, they are the easiest things in the world. And it's just, it's the wooden plank shield from other games that was always historically the worst shield in any game. Yeah. You know? And now they're just like, that's the only one mm-hmm. in the whole game. Instead, you get a gun to offhand, and it's it becomes yep. a parry mechanic, where if an, an enemy is mid-attack, most of the time, if you time it right, you can shoot them with your gun, and it will stagger them, and you can get a visceral attack, which does crazy damage.
1: Yeah. I also think it's kind of cool. They do add a good shield and a good bow in the DLC, but they don't put it in the base game because they don't want you to think that that's an option. Yeah. But by, by, by the time you go to the DLC, you know the rules. Exactly. Right? So maybe you just want to play with this stuff because it's different. And you haven't yet. And exactly. I, I, that That's, I think, good, fun, smart design. Yeah.
0: And So the parry mechanic, in many ways, can break the game. It certainly can trivialize a lot of things, a lot of bosses. Makes the so game much. fun, though. It does make the game fun. There's a lot of ways to use it, even though I think it is a little bit janky. Because you never really know if your shot is gonna parry.
1: Yeah, if, it's, the if they have way, super armor in that.
0: Yeah. Like other games, you could know when your parry
1: works. You could always be like, okay, mm, kinda. Like sometimes I'm trying to to, to parry someone who's two handing a weapon. Like, no, that weapon you can't parry. And you're like, Okay, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh it's
0: not it's not like parries have always been, you know, perfect, yeah.
1: right? But if you know what you're doing,
0: you could you could always generally parry. In Bloodborne, to me it's a bit of a crapshoot. It's it's you just have to learn for each enemy. You do have to learn from each enemy, but it's the
1: cost of learning is high. Sure, right. I, I, in some ways, though, I think it's less than parrying because when you when you miss a parry in a sword, a sword hits you. Not every time you try to parry, you get hit. That is true. You can like you can you can experiment a little more. Yeah. I felt like with parrying, whereas parrying learning to parry is something in Dark Souls can be so annoying sometimes. Yeah, because they're just like ah, oh, I got hit. Ah, oh, I got hit. Oh, drink ah, oh, and it's just a repeat process. Yeah. Love those noise I made. <laughs> but in
0: in Bloodborne, you know, parrying, there's so many different attacks mm-hmm. that you don't know if you're going to be able to parry. Or you don't know the timing for Because so often I'm like, I know this attack is parryable, but I don't know the timing. Because I've done it before, but I, I, it doesn't always work. For some reason, it doesn't yeah. always work. And that's that can be a frustrating experience. To me, it turned me off parrying. Uh, I just fight the game normally. Yeah, I, I know you you played a lot uh, of parrying.
1: I would say they're pretty good at making it easier to parry the bigger enemies. Yes. And those are the enemies you want to parry. So brick trolls are so fun. They're very easy to parry. I do parry them. And that's just a delight. Like that's 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 stressful relief, uh parrying <laughs> brick trolls. <laughs> yeah. Uh later on there's these enemies in the DLC that everyone really hates, the big shark guys, and to get the Rikuya, you have to go in well and fight two of them. And everyone's like, This is like the hardest thing ever, like on Red and all that stuff, and it's just like, I don't know, I just parried them twice. Um, and they're like, well, the other one falls down. I'm like, yeah, I parry him twice quickly. Yeah. And kill him before the other guy gets to me. And, like, that's really fun. It was, like, a whole thing on trying to make this really tanky enemy that does tons of damage and then just try to really get the DPS and timing down really tightly was really fun. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I mentioned this in the boss ranking, but sometimes they do really cool stuff with the bosses on the pairing timing. Like, the one I think is the best is Orphan of is an overhand attack. And he slightly picks up his foot, and that's when you can parry. And, like, that, being rewarded for that sort of observation is really cool, I think. Yeah. Like, I felt really smart once I figured that out, and then now I had a perfect parry against him,
0: right? Exactly. It's also really helpful against hunter fights, because hunters, you can parry most of what they do. Yeah, that's how I fight hunters. And so, it's, like, it's not wrong, honestly, to just kind of spam bullets at hunters sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're like,
1: I don't know if you're gonna attack, but if you do, you're gonna get parried. Yeah, and, and what I would do too is, uh, the one hunter with the three of them. Yeah. Uh, you get, I gank them out in a line, right? And then w- the, as they come at me, I look for a parry opening and then I use the iframes from the visceral to survive the other two and then, then dismount and escape. So we will have times where someone's like charging up a fire blast, you yeah. know, and you get the visceral in and you're like, that feels, that felt so good and so smart. And that fight is so stacked against you. Yeah. But the pairing allows you to get these, even just the time it takes to visceral for you to like not be stressed for a second and like feel comfortable in your hands before going back to the fight. I, I find all that stuff really fun and really well done. Exactly. And, uh, because
0: the gun is designed exclusively to be a McCarr- exclusively to be a parry mechanic. Was said a McCarry counter? I said a McCarry panic. <laughs> I was, Confusing my first letters. Um, because the gun is designed exclusively to be
1: a Perry mechanic... Real quick, is the McCary panic like if Mariah Carey and <laughs> Jim Carey were a celebrity couple? And then no one expects it coming to, like, McCary Panic! Sound the alarm at People Magazine. Oh, I pressed the alarm for We're Print Media and we're dying anyways. <laughs> Probably should have hit that alarm a long time ago. People
0: Magazine is from the mid-2000s, I guess. Um... Oh. Oh my god, what was I talking about? McCarry counters. The McCarry counters. So <laughs> um the parry the gun is exclusively a parry mechanic. That's what it's designed to do, and that's what it explicitly is told to you that it does. Mm-hmm. And that's the the other thing that makes people fight from the front, right? There's two there's two things. One, they give you a thing that's like just parry. Mm-hmm. Do parries. Right. It works with a lot of bosses. Exactly. Right. It works all the time. It's great. It's very powerful. You should learn to do it. The other thing is they d- they did, they removed backstabs mostly. Sort of, yeah.
1: So They to, move
0: quick backstabs, yeah, you can't just dodge behind somebody anymore and quickly backstab them. That shit's out. What you have to do is do a full charged R two attack on someone's back, and that sends them into a staggered state where you can backstab them. It's useful, but it's n- it's got niche uses, and so I use a lot gets over the cost, though. I mean,
1: usually a lot against you know Bloodstar Beast, but. And against the pig in the sewers. I don't want to talk about the pig, because every time you backstab him, you reach your hand full into his anus, yes. and it feels like you just rip out like his test. It's just. It's so great. You're like, I hate backstabbing pigs, but also, I probably should backstab this pig in
0: front yeah, of you. Yeah, I played the Bloodborne PSX remake recently, mm-hmm. and they have. Ju- they really, like, went hard on creating the pig anus, you know? Oh my god. And it's still just, like, a full recreation of of shoving your hand up his ass. Yeah, yeah. But backstabbing is much harder in this game. So, like, Dark Souls 2, when they didn't want you to backstab shit, they just put another dude on
1: his back, you know? In yeah. this game, they oh, just... they la- got lazy put boards there later. <laughs> yeah.
0: In this game, they just... Uh, Dark Souls 3. Yeah. They just put shit on their back. Yeah, you know, yeah. I you know, can't backstab that guy. He's got shit on his back. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in this game, they just... L- they just make you work for it, mm-hmm. um, making it also, like, really hard in
1: PvP, PvP to ever get a backstab. Yeah. But yeah but it's, it, I think it's good and interesting change because, it yeah, the, it forces you the fighting from the front thing, like we said. Yeah. And it's it's fun. And they, they kind of give a lot of things too much health on purpose because they want you to, one, get in a ton of attacks, yeah. right, and also get that big chunks of visceral damage. Because yeah. this game is is violent
0: frontal attacks. That's mm-hmm. the whole point, Right. They removed backstabs. They gave you a constant parry. And they gave you a rally mechanic that says if you get hit, hit them back. Right? Everything in this game says you are fighting head to head. And it makes for such fun combat. Yeah. Uh, it, it, on top of being uh, super fast with your dodges and everything, just being way faster. Yeah.
1: And, and they sell it to you well. Because like, the first time, the first thing you do is you hang out through Central Yarnum, which is having a hunt, right? And like. The first, like, group of enemies you fight, there's just, like, a thousand fucking villagers. It's just a bunch of guys. It's, like, so many. It's literally a mob walking around with torches and pitchforks. Yeah, and it feels so intimidating at first, and there's a bunch of little people who look like Slash from Guns N' Roses holding fucking guns at you. Yeah. That can shoot you from everywhere. There's dogs everywhere. So, like, even when you're fighting a group of people and you can hit, like, five of them with your chain whip and stun them, you, you're you're dodging bullets and dog. Like, it's it's hectic, yeah. you know, at first. And you get to the end of the level and you fight your first boss, unfortunately. And, uh, he blows up, basically. <laughs> I mean, doesn't blow up, but you get drenched in his blood. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. When you beat him, it's literally raining blood. Yeah. And, uh, this game also introduced the, the blood, mecha- the blood spray mechanics where, like, as you kill things, it just sprays blood all over your clothes. Mm-hmm. So, like, no matter what you're wearing, pretty quickly, you are drenched in blood.
1: Yeah. yeah it's so fun to walk around and be like, Damn, I'm fucking bloody right now. Yeah, and it makes you, know? You, you know, it makes you feel kind of like the, the like the visceral attacks feel visceral, like yes. right when you, when you do those reposts on a troll or whatever, you know, it, it you feel like a violent hunter in, yeah. a, in an interesting and cool you, way. You
0: shove their hand in their stomach and you pull out whatever you can grab, and it's just a spray of blood all yeah. over the place. And it's not like, it's not like super graphic, maybe in in the way that we're describing, but it is like very violent. Yeah. yeah. And so like the mechanics of this game are are top notch. They encourage exactly what they want to encourage and it makes for a super fast frenetic dark souls in a way that we've never seen before
1: or frankly since. Yeah. Uh but also this being the first kind of non true souls game, I don't think everyone knew what they were going to get and we now we're kind of accustomed to think of everything you know from dark souls. But we just changed every one of the names for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> You're like, bonfires are lamps. Uh, hunters, uh, homered bones are hunter marks. You know, like, yeah. they just, your souls are blood echoes. Like, it's just that throughout the whole way. So most everything is the same other than the things that we touched on. There is a cool thing with blood echoes, which are your souls that you leave behind. So usually in a game when you die, your souls are just floating pile of orbs in the ground. Now, if an enemy walks over that, they pick them up. And they just have, like, very haunting, glowy eyes. And you have to kill them... To get your souls back. And like that can add a fun, unique challenge to picking up your souls and make you know, you die to a big ass enemy. Well, you have to kill him now if you want your souls back. Exactly. He keeps picking them up, so try to kill him. And it it just kind of overall adds to like some of the the way the mechanics intertwine with the story.
0: Yeah. It's an added challenge to retrieving your souls that the other games haven't ever seen. But in this game, you know, we talked about how good the mobs are. Like it's a completely doable challenge, right? Yeah. And sometimes you you walk in uh, to to like a whole group fight, and you're like, that guy has my souls, and you just laser target that one mm-hmm. guy because you're like, as long as I kill him, I get my shit back, you know. And it it it's another one of those mechanics that like forces you to go hard on on the combat to not just like run in and pick up your souls and be like, okay, I can. Maybe die a little closer to where I was and I can mm-hmm. pick him up later, right? It's like, no, that guy right there, the guy that killed you, he's carrying your souls. You know? Yeah, I am. You got to get him back. And that's honestly a lot of fun. It's, I, I could see creating arguments against why that would be good, but in, in Bloodborne, it works. In, yeah. In a really fun It would be way. annoying in Elden Ring. Yeah, right? like if it was if it was in any kind of souls game where you're like, oh, the, like, think about like Demon Souls, where you're like, oh, the Red Eyed Knight has my souls now. Yeah, I'm- I'm not getting those bad, You know what I mean? Yeah, he killed me in single combat.
1: <laughs> like,
0: I'm probably not doing that. Yeah,
1: fair enough. That is not really true in, in Bloodborne. Last mechanic I can truly think that's unique and important to talk about. The thing also relates to the kind of core, the big whole gimmick of this fucking game. So before the game came out, they were very specific in their advertising of only showing the werewolf shit. Yeah. Right? We just thought it was just a Victorian England werewolf hunt stuff. A little steampunky, but nothing too weird, right? Now there's a mechanic in it that can actually help you see what the real world is called insight. Oh yeah. It is at the closest I can think of is to humanity because you use them to summon, but it's very different. They always kind of do a weird thing with embers and humanity in the games yeah. now. But they're kind of a usually a similar similar consumable resource. So you get insight from seeing bosses, eating madman's knowledges, and some other you see things. Yeah, some archaic ways of getting it. Yeah, like, you, you, oh, this is an area that has insight. Here's three insight, because this area gives you three insight, and this one gives you one, because all the numbers are just plugged in manually. Exactly. <laughs> um, you get, you get four
0: for cleric beast.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're like... One for seeing it, three for beating it.
0: Exactly. And you're like, sure, those are numbers. You know? Yeah, and
1: it just goes up in your in your corner and you don't really notice it for a while. Now as insight goes up, you see more of the world. On your way to Ham Charnel Lane, just a place. There's you have these ten or more. Ten or more. Yeah. These little like, demon looking tree things. I don't even know how to describe them. I don't know. They're like, they're like, it's sh- hard to describe things in Bloodborne, and that's kind of on purpose. Yeah, these are like shadow monsters that have like
0: sides for arms and they rise out of the ground.
1: Yeah, and they, and they spawn in like, the, on the ground, but like the ground, it's like a red, glowy, like yeah. they're terrifying. You
0: think something, I, I know, I think something is summoning them. They're not. Yeah. You just have 10 or more insight. Otherwise, they
1: are not in him with Journal 8. Yeah. So, yeah, you see more enemies sometimes with insight. Sometimes enemies do different attacks. or these these uh, church people with lanterns. Yeah. And now their lanterns will shoot magic at you at a certain insight level. Yes. Right? But the one that really illuminates the the plot twist in this game, that we're not actually just doing werewolves and shit, we're doing uh, Lovecraft and shit, Yeah, <laughs> is uh when you get, I don't know how much, let's say 25. Um, 40. Okay, I didn't think it was 40. I thought 40 was the baby, but you're right. You're right, it's 40. It might be 40. You... Okay, that's the number. The, the ar- baby sixty. No, the, the baby sixty. Ar- right. Okay, sure. I was thinking forty, but like I might be wrong. But uh, uh you can see amygdalas on the wall of Cathedral World, more or less, kind of your hub area that isn't your hub area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cathedral
0: Ward's really cool when you first start. Like you go in, and the first thing you're gonna see w- in Cathedral Ward is an item, and you go pick up that item, and you're like, it's a full set of armor that looks cool. It's got the top hat and everything, like the Victorian yeah yeah bullshit. It's the, the hunter set, I think. You get the, you get this cool armor, and you're like, fuck yeah, let me check that out. And you go into your menu, and you start looking it up. And then something grabs you. And you're like, what? what? And you start floating into the air, and your character explodes in a fountain of blood, and you die. It says frenzy. Yeah, it says <laughs> frenzy. And you're like, I have encountered none of these things. Yeah. I don't know why I was floating, why I died. What frenzy is, I just wanted to put on my cool clothes I picked up. Yeah, And you have no idea. You have no fucking idea what got you. Until there's two triggers, basically. You can kill Amygdala, or you can get 40 insight. No, it's the Blood Moon. It's the Blood Moon? Yeah, one's the Blood Moon, and the other I is I thought 22. one's the Amygdala, lets you see all, all, all Amygdalas. No, you can actually get to that until you...
1: I mean, it's a wise, but... Uh, no, no, never mind. Yeah. I, I, was, I I. You don't need to see him for him to bring you to Nightmare Frontier. But, no, no uh, yeah. yeah. But it's definitely the Blood Moon. Yeah, but basically, once you get enough insight,
0: once you get enough eyes on your brain, You can start seeing the world as it is. When you look up later in Cathedral Ward, you see the huge, spindly, multi-armed, cosmic monster that's just sitting like a bug. It covers the entire side of the cathedral. Yeah. It's
1: massive, right? And you're like, that's what grabbed me. Yeah, and also, if you have the church lady there, which you really don't want to get because you don't want her to murder the prostitute. She's She's a
0: bit of a bitch.
1: Yeah, you, there's a prostitute. You need to drink her blood sometimes, and eventually she gives birth to a demon baby, and then you, well, you kill it kill for her umbilical and, cord, and, yeah. and then you need take to her,
0: eat that umbilical cord along with two yeah. others to put on her the,
1: shoes, and then you get the true ending. Yeah. Um. So obviously, you don't want to invite this church lady, but if you do, yeah, obviously, she goes out the cathedral if you do it before the blood moon, and just starts freaking out about the amandala. Yeah, and I think it's really cool. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's just her like losing her mind on. Like the eldritch truth behind it all, and it's kind of
0: interesting because that implies she has really high insight, and she will, yeah, she'll kill. What's her name, Anastasia? Yeah, I've never brought her to the place. I don't remember. I think that's her
1: name for the for the church one.
0: No, yeah, for the for the woman that gives birth to the. Monster. Oh no no,
1: I think it's. I want to say Ariandel, but that's that's no. Ariana? Ariana, Ariana, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, sorry, Anastasia is a random NPC invader He's the a bunch of cleaver and Elden ring, so. Ariana, she will kill Ariana, but it implies that she has enough insight that, like, maybe she knows Ariana's gonna give birth to a fucking monster. Like, to a baby
1: old one. And she's trying to prevent that? Like, Nah, I think she's... Because she only sees the Amigdala after the Blood Moon, so maybe she is, it has nothing to do with her insight. Everyone can see everything after the Blood Moon. Yeah, I
0: mean, she is just, like, kind of a Catholic piece of shit that, like, hates prostitutes. You yeah, know what I mean? there's actually
1: a cool thing. Not, not to get, like, too... But you could invite people to the Cathedral World to save them. Right. Yeah. And for the most part, only one of it matters for the true ending. And also, it doesn't even actually matter because you could still get a different umbilical cord. Yeah. Right. You don't have to do any of that. But at the end, pretty much everyone you do either dies or is killing people in the cathedral world the really only person who can stay till the end who doesn't die not the religious one but just the angry grumpy old woman yeah and she's just terrible and it just that kind of has that like a little Miyazaki thing he does a lot where it's just like these are who we're saving is that even what's the point yeah it's not even we're worth just saving it. these horrible people the the only the people you root for to survive are gonna die yeah
0: every one of them will die yeah and the people you don't like are probably also gonna die the only person that's gonna survive is the person that fucking hates your guts yeah you know the the other option is you can send them to yosefka's clinic and yosefka's clinic is where you start the game mm-hmm. basically german has the the guy who turns you into a hunter does like some blood ministration stuff i know these words mean nothing <laughs> i don't yeah. like know how to even start to describe this but he transfuses the blood of old ones essentially into you and kind of puts the blood of beasts. You know, kind of puts that, 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 that beast monster inside of you and turns you into a hunter. And he does this in Yosefka's clinic and Yosefka does blood ministration. Yosefka will be like, Hey, if you meet anybody, you can send them here to the clinic and I will keep them safe. But at some point, I think after the blood moon, Yosefka is replaced by some monstrous old one and everyone you send to Yosefka's clinic uh dies and gets like experimented on and stuff, you know? They they use them for like blood administration testing and shit like that. And uh super sucks because is like the first person you trust. Yeah. She's she presents herself as a trusting face and then you start sending people to her to the clinic and they never they never come out the other side, you know? Until eventually you get to go behind the door and you find Yosefka has herself has been replaced by a monster. You
1: mean you find a cat in her summons? get the fuck out of there and go That's, to cave. That is what also what you get. The important thing.
0: But what's also interesting about this is the safe place that you can send people to, the cathedral ward. You meet like a weird monster person and they're like "I like, uh, almost killed immediately. It was this it, close to killing. Yeah, going. everybody is is almost like, "Oh, I'm going to kill you instantly." And they're like, "It this is a safe place you can send people here." And you're like, "You're a fucking monster. I don't I don't believe you." But if you and, he, and he's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the, that's the weird part, right? It's like, you can trust the kindly clinic lady and uh, send everyone to their death, or you can trust the weird monster that you meet and have no reason to trust at all, and that's the safe place to send people. And it kind of shows this idea that we see in Bloodborne that, like, things are not as they appear. That, like, the face that is presented to you is not necessarily the face that you should trust. So, like, good can be bad, bad can be good. All the, like, monsters can be people, and people can be monsters. And... It distorts your ability to understand the world in, in the fundamental way that you have before,
1: right? Which sets you up for what comes later in the story. And, and they kind of actually really stress this early because, like, right after Cathedral World, you can go to Old Yarnum. And there is a hunter who, when you're there, the whole time is talking, like, basically, hunters are not good. Yeah. Do you really think what you're doing is good? And you find out from, like, a note on the door that Old Yarnum was, like, a whole part of the city that the beastly curse, like, took over the city. Yeah. They just shut it away. They just, they buried the city, basically, you know, below the rest of civilization and just kind of let them rot down there was the plan. Yeah. And it's one of the first times they kind of humanized the enemies. So, like, when you go near the enemies, if you pull out a torch which you will get there, they hold up their hands and they're afraid of fire and then the the wolf people actually feel like people. Like, yeah. you feel bad. Like, then you just slaughter people who are covering their face in I fear. mean, they, they, they do it right out the
0: gate because Jira, who is the hunter, starts yelling at you the second you get in there and he's like, these are peaceful people. You do not need to go hunt here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should turn around and walk away. There's nothing for you here. And of course this is a Dark Souls game, we are going to keep going forward and kill everybody we meet. Yeah, But Jura's right. This is a town that was betrayed by the people they trusted, by the the Church of Blood administration that turned them all into beasts and had no cure for them and and did it out of, you know, a, a petty greed for, you know, power and money and stuff. And then the second they couldn't control them anymore, they walled off the city and left them behind. And Jura is a hunter who used to be in your position. He's like, oh, you're a hunter. I too was a hunter, but I no longer dream, implying he doesn't go to the hunter's dream. He doesn't actively be a hunter anymore. Mm-hmm. The idea is that he found all these poor people who've been turned into monsters and didn't slaughter them, just didn't do the hunter thing, and instead now protects them. And he can't, he can't protect them from you because you're a fucking monster. But it's jarring and sad when you walk into old Yarnum and he's like, please leave. These people aren't your enemy. And you're
1: like, I've got a weapon. I'm going to kill them. I also area is like the first like true brilliant level design of the whole area. Because first they do a thing they can become really good at doing in Bloodborne. Which is taking a, th- a thing you know from souls and twisting it into the Bloodborne way. So we're so used to from Dark Souls 1, Demon Souls, and even later Dark Souls 2, the dragon breathing fire onto the bridge. Yeah. as kind of an environmental hazard. You have to cross this area, but you have to like time yourself through this through dragon's breath. And they, you know, you kind of expect that to be in every game. but Except for Bloodborne doesn't have dragons. So do they do. Jura has a Gatling gun <laughs> that he just fires through the whole area. And you're using cover to slowly get near him. And you can climb up to his tower and fight him. And when you first start playing Bloodborne, he'll probably kick your ass. And then soon you learn he's pretty, pretty easy to trick off the edge. Yeah. I go up there now and I just pop four bolts into him. Yeah. He turns around and he's like, duh, duh, duh. And eventually just falls off the edge. And then I grab his badge so I can make... Crappy weapons, and then go off on my day. <laughs> yeah,
0: Jura becomes like the new lautrek where you're just like you're just like you shove him off the edge, and you're like give him your shit, you know. Mm-hmm. But you can also befriend Jura. You don't have to go kill him. You can come back later. Yeah, um, you kind of a quest line stuff, but like Jura will become your friend and just give you the hunter badge that he carries. And hunter badges you allow you to buy,
1: buy new still, weapons yeah. and stuff. I, I also like do. I think a lot of people are going to shoot him off the edge because Jura does it to them. Yeah, they go up the ladder and they get shot off the edge, and they're like, "Well, can I do that to you?" Yeah, <laughs> pull, you know, pull your gun
0: out. Yeah, and Jura's is a really fast fight. He likes to spam bullets in a very small area. It can be really tough, you know. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people
1: learn that tech from. Yeah. online guides and stuff like that he, he also there's a partner hunter he has down low that you can yeah. fight and you have to like position your fight so you're not fighting in his uh gatling fire unless you just kill him. you've already killed him you yeah. know what i mean but like it's, it's it's actually a really fun little section that caps off on blood beef it really
0: is and i yeah i love old Yarnum and i love jira and his friend mostly because i just i really like the fact that they're like there were hunters who didn't go beastly You know, who didn't succumb to the curse, really. Yeah. And you meet, you meet, like, Eileen pretty early on. And Eileen is considered the Hunter of Hunters, you know? That's her, that's basically her title. And you're like, well, why do you need, why do you need someone to hunt the Hunters? You know? Because they all, they all turn mad. Like, they, they all become the beasts they hunt. Except
1: Jura didn't. He gave it up. And I think so what Bloodborne does best, whereas on one hand, we're talking about eating umbilical cords, and we're like, what the fuck does that mean? But on the other hand, a lot of this story stuff, it comes across really... Yeah, it resonates. It resonates, yeah. You go to Old Yarnham, and, and you understand the message, with the areas trying to communicate you in the story. And then also, you just have a really brilliantly designed area that folds in the background itself, has interesting enemies, has interesting encounters. It's just it, it's that, that full package that is, I think, the reason Bloodborne's so good.
0: Yeah, it's it's what you expect from a, a really good souls game and it's it's encapsulated really well just in Old Yarnum. It's got the it's got characters, it's got story, it's got good level design, it's got a strong boss. It's just it's fun all the way through.
1: I love Old Yarnum. Yeah. So the early part of this game, which I would call the werewolf part of the game, yeah, where you're learning a little bit but the plot is pretty subdued. It's just a little bit about like, you know, whether or not uh, if being a hunter is even good or even what being a hunter is. I think a lot of th- this part of the game has some good areas. Bad bosses, but kind of good areas. But there's not much to say about it. You really like Hemeternal Lane.
0: Hemeternal Lane gives a really cool like vibe to it. It's just kind of like a witch's town. Like you go in and it's a bunch of old ladies in robes like dancing around a bonfire,
1: and they have like their weapons are like brands and
0: hammers, yes,
1: like, like yes. things you would use
0: they, they, as, they, as villagers. Yeah, they throw fire bombs at you and stuff, and it's it's mostly that. And also, again, if you go through here with uh, more than ten insight, you are going to be dealing with these weird shadow monsters that come out of the floor. There's a lot in Him eternal Lane. There's there's a lot of traps and stuff like that. You go through like barns and they're dark, and this game does lighting sort of better than Dark Souls 2 does, where you, you go into dark air and you're like, fuck yeah, I need a torch, you know? And it's really fun to, like, learn how to light your your way. You can also buy a, a little lantern that you can put on your hip, which has made a return in Elden Ring, and I'm so happy about it because it's so nice. Yeah. But the cool thing about him at Eternal Lane, I think, is just is just actually the vibe. Where it's just this, it seems like a witch's settlement. Like, you're not welcome here, you're not supposed to be here, and the second you go through, everything turns against you. Like, they're having a party, and then you show up, an Outsider. And everyone turns against you instantly. Yeah. And it's so fun to just run around these little houses and barns and,
1: and this this little shanty town as everything tries to kill you. Yeah, I think they do a really good job with some of the early stuff where it's like, it's not that hard, but it's like it's, it's kind of like a fun romp in each room. Isn't quite the sort of like Dark Souls, what's the puzzle to figure it out? Yeah. It's just kind of like a frenetic thing you have to deal with. That you have the tools to deal with. It's got some... Like, and, and you get good... Like, this is where you get like your rings, basically. Your runes. Yeah, you do get your first runes here. So, um, so you just, like... It's a, it's a good productive use of your time.
0: It really is. Uh, the boss fight's pretty forgettable, but uh, we'll talk about that in the boss rankings. But uh, the, the other thing about Hamlet Online, it kind of feels like like some old-school horror movies, you know? Uh, it's got, it's, got, it's some, like, Children of the Corn vibes, mm-hmm. you know? Where everything just feels kind of weird. It's the the strange countryside, yeah. You know, and it's strange with like the capital S. It's a place outside of your understanding, and it really sets the tone for
1: a lot of what you are going to experience in Bloodborne as a whole. Yeah, I think they do a good job in the early areas. On kind of making, like, enemies and stuff be, like, horror tropes, but more traditional horror tropes, and making you feel that, like, pretty organically. Yeah. But it's also not, like, it's not, like, a whole thing,
0: which some of the yeah. other stuff will
1: be. Exactly.
0: Uh, it also has the entrance to Kanehurst,
1: which is the best area in the game. Yeah, definitely we should talk about Kanehurst later, but... Yeah, we'll talk about Kanehurst. But, I... So, I, I think the early game is really good, personally, but there's kind of a transition part of this game that starts at Forbidden Woods. Yeah. After you beat... The Amelia, and you see that weird cutscene about, beware the old blood. Yes. Which you, the player, should instantly know is a password, obviously. Yeah. And give it to the password person. You gotta give it to the password door. You know,
0: the one that's, you definitely know where it is. It took me a long time to, like, know yep. where it is. <laughs> like, to this day, I'm, I I get lost in Cathedral Ward looking for the password door but you have, you do get to forbidden woods uh, that does not require the password and forbidden woods i think is a counterpoint to everything that old yarnum set up old yarnum was this wonderful vignette start to finish of a place that's been destroyed by the church of blood administration it's under the protection of these hunters it sets up a lot of questions that speak to the themes of the game and really just show you this little story that that makes a lot of sense and progresses your understanding of the game Forbidden Woods is the exact opposite of that. It's mostly just filled with, like, piles of snakes as enemies, or people whose heads explode into snakes. Second half of it, there's the long yeah. area. Yes, it is a long area, but it's also, like, a confusing maze in the woods. And that's kind of the best you can say about it. Like, there's nothing really to talk about. There's a I lot. I a of, lot to say
1: about Forbidden Woods. Well, okay. That's <laughs> good,
0: because I find myself at a loss talking about it, because there's a lot of key items there. There's a lot of really useful stuff. There's even some cool bits of it, right? Everything about it is the most confusing, weird mess of a place. You have no idea what's going on, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and I think it's really, to me, probably the worst area in the game. Oh, not even close for me. Well, I, what I, nightmare
1: frontier exists? No, nah, see, I like nightmare frontier, but better. that's that's mm-hmm. that's. I mean, that's on you. But I mean, no, no, the the podcast is over until you accept <laughs> nightmare frontier is garbage. I like nightmare frontier. I'm not even negative on it. I like Guys, it. It's Preposterous. But... So do you like frenzy? Do you like poison swamps? Do you like picking up items and boulders hitting your head? Do you like constantly running into rocks all the time? Uh, we're talking about Nightmare Frontier right now. <laughs> um, yes, I do. It's just wrong. It's ugly, too! <laughs> it's so ugly! So Forbidden Woods
0: is fucking ugly. It's just kind of like a little bit foggy and nothing but trees. Let and... me do
1: my Forbidden Woods push, then.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to be converted on Forbidden Woods because the place sucks. And the best part about it is a sort of awkward boss.
1: No, I I think there's a lot of good things about it that are storytelling stuff that I think is conveyed really well. The opening to Forbidden Woods, I think is fantastic. So you get this weird where the Old Bloods cutscene, and you don't kind of know what to do with it at this point in the game. And then you say the password is the only password option there to get into the Forbidden Woods. And then the door opens, and behind that door is a skeleton sitting in a chair, and you get a madman's knowledge. I do like that. And that's super clever because it's the beginning, it's the it's the game well, beginning that descent into, this is a different level of horror. Well, sorry, I want to describe the
0: skeleton just a little bit. You speak to a man through,
1: through the door.
0: It says, what's the password, right? And you're like, fear the old blood. And the door opens up. And what's on the other side is a skeleton, like covered in cobwebs. And you click on him. A thing you've never done in a Souls game, like click on an object like that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it says he's already dead, and then you just get a madman's knowledge, which increases your insight. Yes, it's not even an item that's sitting there. Yeah, it just a, a text box, like a like it's a RPG game pops up and says he's already dead, and you get an insight, and you're like, what? <laughs> and that's so
1: impressive because they know you're gonna click it. They know that's what the player's going to do. They've literally
0: never asked you to
1: do that before, but there's no way you don't. Yeah. They just, they trust themselves so thoroughly. And then, what I would say is, as the woods progress, I think they do good encounters and there's cool stuff with it. So, in the early, it's just the stuff you've been seeing this whole time. Just dudes and dogs. The villagers. Now, there's some funny traps. Yeah, and, and there's the snake piles. Snake piles are
0: later. No, there's a bunch of snake piles in the beginning, isn't there?
1: Nope. Okay. I, see, I can't even differentiate the the, so the first you, and no, parts. The, the beginning is you just go and you get the little the little swinging log traps. Yes, and those are really funny because you're like, oh, I dodged it, and some of them will break and roll at you, and yeah. you're just like, ah, like they're just they're just good heartwarming uh, from yeah. software so, traps. Some good old souls cruelty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you go forward, right? And as you go forward, you know, you see like the dog cages are unleashed. You see people. You know, it seems normal, but it's not until. You get more than halfway through, and you enter, like, a big wooden building. You see the first person who's just walking slowly with a lantern and then you start hitting them and you're like this dude is tank
0: yeah he's got a lot of health and
1: then a snake explodes out of his head like six snakes explode yeah. out of his head yeah and then as you walk out you start seeing more snake people and then there's this whole area and that's truly the maze part of the forbidden woods yeah. the early part i don't think is that much of a maze but this part is it's just full of snake people and like little tiny snakes and big piles of snakes yeah. everywhere and then you beat you beat the, you do the boss chowzardum which also end up being snake people Yeah. and um, somewhere in this you find a cave
0: that's got like Aliens in yeah, it?
1: Yeah. Alien. Yeah. And you're like, this world is different. And all over the Forbidden Woods are Madman's knowledges. Yeah. Like every bit of it, it's just loaded to the brim with insight. And not just Madman knowledge, the other one that gives you, too, that wisdom, great one's wisdom. Yeah, the one. great one's wisdom. Now, yes, Forbidden Woods does act as a
0: transition between, the like, the two main phases of the game. Yeah. You know, where you go from this werewolf to, like, cosmic horror and And, stuff. And then
1: plops you out at Bergenworth with fucking mosquito people. Yeah.
0: It definitely does that, and it does that somewhat effectively. I think it's not super good at it still, right? Like, I think that transition really exists at Bergenworth, And everything before that is just kind of confusing, because you don't really... It's giving you hints at what's to come, but it's not giving you any solid information. But, but that's like the
1: horror thing is, it's it's always making you ask the question. Like like you see this dead thing, and you're like, okay, the, w- the world is different than I thought it was. And I think it was, I think it was actually a lot more effective for people who already didn't know it was going to be Lovecraft shit, which yeah. a lot of people did on unre- didn't did on release. I
0: think they could have done better if they didn't use like snakes, because they're still playing on like the beast theme right? Yeah. And up to this point, you're still like, I don't know, it's like a Victorian Beast Hunter game, you know? Mm -hmm. You're here to kill werewolves and stuff, and then a bunch of snake people are everywhere, and you're like, I guess they can be snake people too,
1: but it doesn't really prep you for, like, the cosmic horror that's about to come out. But I, I don't think it needs to prep you, I think it just needs you to realize that something's off, and then when you jump in the lake and see Rom, you're like, this is not at all, as I was guessing. You're like, okay, there's something off about this universe, and then you're like, everything is off about this. That's universe. fair. But I think that's something you
0: you intuit in hindsight whereas when you're going through it it's just kind of confusing. For me I did
1: not feel that. When I was going through the woods, I really enjoyed the flavor I was getting out of it even though I recognized, "Oh my god, this area is a slog." Cuz yeah. after I did Bergenworth, I went to go item loot that. And that's when I kind of started seeing why everyone hates Forbidden Woods, where I'm like, I'm just trying to grab items, but I've been running in circles for a while, yeah. and I'm like, I don't know if that snake pile is different from this snake pile, or whatever. Right. And there's a way through, just so people know, there's a way through.
0: You can follow the lanterns. Mm-hmm. They, they are the core path. But there's so many side paths, and those are important. There's important items on yeah. the side paths, right? Now, I, I'm not necessarily trying to argue that it's not, a, like, thematically a well-designed area. You know, yeah. I I did a little. I don't think it's great, but I think it's sufficient. I do just find the area boring in so many ways. I don't like fighting tons of snakes. They're they're not super mm-hmm. fun. And beyond that, like it's just the actual visuals of the area is just like a dark forest. In not in a good way. It's just like too many trees, too many confusing paths. Sure. A bunch of random gravestones everywhere and you're like like whatever, I, I,
1: you know. I've said this before. I think a lot of the bloodborne environments are just kind of all cluttered with like whatever random. They can acid be they really cluttered, and that is not my problem with this area. My problem with this area is it is generic and kind of boring. Yeah, but like I would say, like see, my thing with like Nightmare Frontiers is like. It's full of that same sort of like hexagonal rock everywhere, yeah, I know exactly what you're and saying. it's just like they just took an ass and they just repeated it ad infinitum, and yeah. then it just it gets kind of boring looking to me.
0: It's kind of like if you if you imagine like the surface of Mars or something, mm-hmm. but you didn't really do anything interesting with it. You're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's red. You're like, yep, sure yeah. it is.
1: But yeah, I just think I just think the flavor of it really gets to me. I will say when I play Bloodborne again, I always start to uh, be like, ah, oh, this area, and it's always any area that has like length to it. Yeah, Like, I I get the same way about Unseen Village, but I think Unseen Village is great, right? But it's just one of the areas that's longer than the other areas, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to do that right now, you know? I just think
0: everything before it is better. You know, you start in Central Yarnum, you go to Cathedral Ward, you can do Hamlet Charnel Lane, you can do Old Yarnum and stuff like that, and all these places are interesting with their own stories, and and they have a lot going for them visually. Mm -hmm. And then you get to Forbidden Woods, and it's probably a couple of hours of just, like,
1: I don't know. It's just yeah. snake people. It, it's certainly trees. a slog. Like that's the one word i always always exactly. Say,
0: like, uh, so I find I find that boring. And you find you really start questioning like, am I at the end yet? Can I be done yet? And you fight a boss that I find pretty strictly average. And finally, and you get to the horrendous corpse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you transition from Forbidden Woods into Bargainworth. and you're like, finally something interesting again. You know, Forbidden yeah. Woods just feels like such a downturn in the actual atmosphere of the game. Even though what it's doing, it does fairly well.
1: Yeah, I, there's another thing that I like is like so as we didn't mention this, but like there as you do plot stuff, time changes. So after you learn the password. It becomes night, and all the giants in the cathedral world go to sleep. And there's something that like works for me of like slowly descending into this dark wood, and then coming out at Bergenworth with like the moon shining over a yeah. lake. You know, like it feels like you're just descending into something else. Yeah, and you know? it certainly
0: contrasts Bergenworth quite well because yeah. you start with normal people, and you kind of transition snake people and weird shit, mm-hmm. and then you get to Bergenworth, and it's weird fly monstrosities. You know, it's like they're from. The movie *The Fly*, where like a human gets mixed with a fly in mm-hmm. a teleporter kind of thing, and it just becomes a monster. That's what they remind me of. Is like this is weird, just fly monster.
1: Yeah. the The other thing I'd say is uh, with both Bergenworth and Woods is I really needed enemies to change at this point in the game. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh my god, these snake people are different. I'm like, thank god, because I've just been fighting. Like, I like fighting the the people in the city, right? Yeah. The Yarnamites. It's it's pretty late in this game at this point to still be fighting the same mobs, but... Yeah. Maybe a color palette switch. I really don't
0: like the snake people either. Their attacks are, like, pretty fast, and they mm-hmm. cover... They cover a big area in a way that's, like, it's hard to get those openings to get the damage in. And they have a lot of health. So, like, they can be kind of tanky, slow fights. But
1: they're weak to electricity, so it's time to bring your handy-dandy friend the Tonatris. Get the Tonatris in the Unseen Village and then bring it to Snakeland yep. to kill all these snakes.
0: You can do that if the monster before Starved Beast or up in Cathedral Ward kidnaps you. It's snatcher. By killing you. Yeah, it's a Snatcher. So, if the Snatcher kills you and kidnaps you and puts you in jail the Hypogean Jail. Yeah. Then you can go to a late-game area in which you can get Taunatrist, the little mace that does lightning. Th- th- that's cool. That's
1: another hint that the world is different than you think it is. Yeah. When you go to the Hypo... Hy- Hypogean Jail. Hypogean Jail. um, That's also really cool that you can get captured to get to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a cool... You go back there. You're forced to do this whole area right after Burdensworth. But it's a really cool little optional way of doing this. I also like going to Hypogean
0: Jail early because, like, one, it... Yeah. It, it is a high-level area. It's a late game area, but everything you meet in the early game, if you do it early, is different from when you go there later. Of course, yeah. You're not going to see the same shit. And so you can go to the same area twice, and it's different. And, like, much more horrific the second time through. Yeah. You know? Like, getting Taunatris is not that hard in the early game. Getting
1: Taunatris is much harder in the late game. So, uh, we can talk about the big transition in the game, Bergenworth, which really will just be kind of an excuse to talk about the story, I think. Right. So, Bergenworth is like a school of
0: knowledge. Yeah. And these are the guys that famously, they decided the best way to acquire knowledge, to acquire an understanding of the universe, is to literally put eyes on your brain to see more. Right? Eyes on the inside. And that's how you reveal the world. And that's like the, the symbol for insight is an eye. And like that's that's super cool, it's, it's very weird. But Bergenworth is just this like sort of abandoned tower full of books and weird alchemy shit, and one very strange NPC.
1: Yeah, incredibly short, and it leads to your first old one fight. But yeah, kind of I, I, I want to do a little bit more on all that. Yeah. So we've seen um, Willem and Lawrence before. Willem is the guy talking in the cutscene that's saying "Fear the Old Blood." More or less, the plot of this game is they found like. Ancient one blood in catacombs. Yep. And then they make you play those catacombs and they suck. But that's neither here nor there. They dug too deep and too greedily. Yeah. And found. And the they should have realized Chalice Dungeons sucks. Stop digging. Right? You don't need to go any deeper. You're not having fun. <laughs>
0: but there could be there could be boss fights down there. Yeah, yeah. Unique boss fights. The only bosses I haven't fought in a soul series are in Chalice Dungeons. Yeah.
1: But No Regrets. The- Basically, there is a split between Lawrence and Willem. Willem, the older, uh, like the senior of the school. He's I, the guy in the wheelchair that you'll find in Birkenworth. Yeah, rocking chair, but yeah. Sorry. just rocking chair, you yeah. uh, being old you and. You don't know it female. doesn't have wheels? Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have eyes. Oh, I have too many eyes. Oh, too many eyes. Automatic. Miyazaki's <laughs> done it again. Uh, Willem is afraid to use the blood. Right? Yes. Because we know this blood has healing properties thus of the, the old gods. Thus their words and so the old blood. Yeah. Lawrence instead says this blood can help people and makes the healing church. Yes. Right? And the he- giving the blood to the people is what turned all these people into vampires, basically. Whereas, right? Well, yeah, sure. There's no vampires. <laughs> I, I don't know why in- I said vampires. Because vampires and marbles have become
0: ubiquitous. So he's been saying
1: so much blood. Yeah. Yes. It's just the word blood. It's kind
0: of honestly kind of weird that there's no vampires in this game. Yeah, there's no.
1: They're in uh, Canehurst.
0: Vampires?
1: That lady's a vampire. The vilebloods? They're vampires.
0: Oh, I guess they are. Yeah. You don't really, like, meet vilebloods, though. You meet, like, one. Yeah, I
1: mean, you, you... Tear her flesh up. Yeah.
0: But they do have, like, the big mosquito monsters, mm-hmm. you know? Like, there's some implications. And that's why like it's the blood tinge place, yeah. you know? And it's clearly a vampire castle. Yeah, yeah. I mean? like, it's, it's a very a... Dracula castle. Yeah,
1: I actually think it's really cool. So, you, we, we hear a lot of different of the sects of church. We hear about the healing church, which Lawrence makes. You later hear about the choir, which make aliens, I yeah. guess. God damn, this game is weird. Yeah, there's uh, the, the and,
0: hunters. And then the
1: hunters, right? Who hunt...
0: The beast, yes, right. That that the other churches make,
1: yeah, and it's well, it's it's all one church, and they all have different sects, and they all kind of check each other. Like the choir has like the most authority or whatever, like yes. stuff like like just random. It's really not that important, uh, I think, to the true understanding of the story and what 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 the main themes we're getting out of it. What is interesting is basically everything that the church did damned everyone, yes, right. They were trying to do good. This came out of what we can believe can be altruistic. There are some readings of the game that the church got everyone sick on purpose to get them addicted to the blood. I don't think there's enough text in the game for that, and I don't think you need to do, like... It's better otherwise, in my opinion, where Lawrence is trying to do good. Lawrence is trying to heal people. He's trying to bring this magic they can. They're trying to find, and Willem's trying to find this truth. Like, this, you know, philosophically uh, non-transient truth yeah, they're, that, like, means something. They're and both, both of them doomed everyone. Yeah. They're both seeking something transcendental, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: And they have reason to believe that it exists. Yeah. Because that's the thing about the Chalice Dodge, is they dug, They dug deep. And they found the old ones, you know. It's what what they I think they found was uh, Abritus, something like that.
1: I think Abritus uh, is made, but that's neither here nor there.
0: I don't think so. I think Abritus was left behind by the old ones, but they yeah, found yeah. they found something There's like debate. that. They found, uh, <laughs> but now they're bleeding Abritus. Like Abritus is a source of the, of the the blood now. But the idea is that they they have reason to believe that the world as they know it is not real or not like complete. We don't see enough. There is more to be learned. Yeah, you know, and they have different ways of doing that. Whereas Lawrence may have altruistic goals of like, okay, we can use this this weird technology that we have now, you know, this, this awkward blood, and we can give it to people and heal them. And Willem's like, ah, but we need to know more. We need to know about stuff. But his methods are super strange. He wants to literally put eyes on their brain, literally, literally. Yeah. So it definitely gets weird, and none of this is really explained, <laughs> like. A lot of this has to be figured out.
1: Yeah, I think, again, I think it's explained a lot more. Because you see, you see more with uh, the Willem side of stuff with the Mensis people. Yes. School of Mensis. They wear these big, stupid fucking cages on their head. Yeah. As antennas to try to get into the dream world of the old ones. Exactly. And they're, they literally, like, let their bodies die. Like, you literally see corpses of people with Mensis cages all over the unseen village which was basically where their university yeah. was
0: they kind of they, it's kind of an inception thing they they sink into dreams and they never come back yeah you know, they let their bodies die but they continue to dream because you know they have there's this transcendental nature of of themselves i guess but these kinds of things start begging the questions like what's the reality of the world that you're in you mm-hmm. know the fact that like as you gain insight you can see more and more You know, horrible monsters that like weren't there before or you couldn't see them before. You're not sure. When you die, you go to a place called the Hunter's Dream. And you can find the Hunter's Dream in the what is speculatively now the real world. And it's just an abandoned place, you know? It's called the the Hunter's Workshop. But it's this abandoned place where you can find like the clothes of the doll that levels you up, but there's no doll, there's no German, there's no there's no fireplace or anything like that, you know? It's all just dead and gone, and you're like, what's real? I go to the hunter's dream, and I take that shit into the real world, but the real world keeps changing around me as I gain more insight. Maybe I don't know enough. And all these people, the the School of minces people, they sink into
1: dreams, and they die, but they continue on what is real. And what is the knowledge, is the knowing what's real even good? You know, you see a lot of people who see truth, and it does not. It makes their life immediately worse. Exactly. And
0: what can you do with this information if you do? If you did find out what's real, what can you do with yeah. that information? And, I, I and that's to, like what yeah. Lawrence did, right? Is is he's like, oh, I can help people. I mean, practical with it, yes. But he didn't know if that was true, and that's giving people that that blood is what turns them into beasts. Like Lawrence is the cause of the plight that came to Old Yarnum. destroyed the city that made them board it up and wall it off from the rest of the world, because he he dabbled in things he didn't understand.
1: Yeah, and, like, so that's the thing, is, like, that's why I wish some of the early uh, werewolf fights kind of had more pathos to them or whatever. Yeah. Like, if you see Vicar Amelia, like, explode into this dog thing, but, you know, if she had, like, a scene like Ludwig at the end where you kind of see this is, like, an innocent person dying from a transformation, it would have done a lot better. Where... I'm so sold on the horrific transformation of this by Ludwig in the DLC because you just see, like, how fucked up the consequences of their actions are. Yeah. And for once, it wasn't just man's greed or ambition or something. It was just trying to make a world better in, like, Victorian England where there's lots of stuff you could make better back then. Yeah. And now.
0: It's the reckless pursuit. I've talked about this actually a lot in in my private life, but there's a Yeah, you like
1: Jurassic Park we get it.
0: Okay, well, we're done then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a thing called, well, there's a thing I I call disinterested science, which is similar to like a debate around like vaccines and stuff. I am not an anti-vaxxer in any way. I deplore those people. But there is something to be said about trying to uh, create vaccines instead of effective measures to combat viruses, right? Mm -hmm. Like our response to the COVID pandemic was bullshit and bad. We just didn't, we mostly just didn't care. We put on some masks. We quarantined for a couple Did weeks. Did we, though? <laughs> that's, well, let like, we quarantined for a couple weeks. We, we put on some masks. Uh, and then we decided it was over, it, despite the numbers being higher than they've ever been. Because we we all just collectively got tired of it. But also because we were just relying on the vaccine to fix our problems. Yeah, right? Because we didn't want to understand it in a more fundamental way or engage with it in a way that, like, makes more sense in the world. We wanted a quick fix. And that's what science can sometimes deliver for us, is... Just fix the problem now. That's disinterested science. This is a problem that like we're, you know, people talk about like creating super bugs and things like that, where eventually, eventually things become resistant to treatment and suddenly we don't have treatment for those things anymore, you know, and they become more powerful than they've ever been because we're, all we do is treat symptoms. We don't treat them in a holistic way that talks about the entirety of the problem. And that's the same thing that Lawrence was doing was like, oh, I can help people. I see this as blood cures ales. I'm just gonna use it recklessly on a mm-hmm. whole population. They had to wall up all of Oldtown. Yeah, you know what I mean. This is they. A, they have beast hunts at night. People are crucifying
1: former people in the streets.
0: Exactly. You know, and the the beast hunters do the same thing. The hunters do the Got same like thing. Cults are popping like, everywhere. The hunters are out there to hunt beasts, but what do they do? They use beast pellets. Right. They became. What they hunted, because that was the most effective way to do it. Beast Pellets gave you strength and power. And as long as you kept your mind, you were able to kill the, the things that you were designed to kill. Yeah. Right? But we look at Gascoigne, and we see that that doesn't last. We look at Eileen, and we ask, why do we need a Hunter of Hunters? Because the Hunters go bad. They go beastly.
1: Yeah, so it's actually going to be a good time to talk about a couple of side quests. Then, yes, uh, I guess it's a good time. So Eileen, I think, is like the the main and most she's you're the closest you're going to get to Slayer personally. Yes. Other than Alfred, who's voiced by Slayer, <laughs> um, uh, I think Eileen's really interesting because she once she has that classic, she has like the plague doctor look. Yes. Like I immediately got her clothes and just wore them. for Yeah, forever. the crow feathers. Yeah. Also, her weapons, the blade of mercy, is really really fun. Yeah, really fun, cool thing. Either two blades or, or like uh, one long sword. One long sword, real cool stuff. And you help her uh, hunt a couple of people in a row. You help her hunt Henrik, who actually was the hunter who was partnered with Gascoigne when yeah. uh, you know. And like so, you you kind of and you can like kind of learn little stuff about like it really puts you in the world that like Gascoigne and Henrik like these were good men. Yeah. Like, you meet their. You meet Gascoigne's daughter.
0: Yeah, Gascoigne had a family. Yeah, he had a, he had a wife and daughter, and they like all what well, Yes, but his connection to them was what kept him human, mm-hmm. you know? The little music box that he gave to his daughter, when he heard that music, it kept him human. You yeah. Know? But eventually, the curse takes over, right? His yeah, wife the... went out to find him, and he murdered her. The music box only works a few times, and he never, he never comes back. You kill him, and his daughter dies looking for her father. It's a sad... Yeah, and then his sister
1: jumps out of a building and kills herself. Exactly. Just overly, overly Shakespearean. Yeah. Even though the uh, Gascoigne part isn't a part of Eileen's quest, I think Eileen really contextualizes it. And it all uh, capitalizes when you have to help her hunt the bloody crow of Canehurst, the, f- the person who previously had her job, I believe, and went rogue. Yeah. And she's, like, out, outside the cathedral, bleeding to death, basically. And you have to fight, like, the hardest hunter fight in the whole game. Oh my god, it's so hard. And it's so fun, too. Like, I think it's really worth it. And, I like, love He parries the fuck out of you. Yeah, the first time... Perry does actually really end that fight, because you
0: have to land your parry. Yes, like, nowadays, I generally beat him first try.
1: The first time I fought the Bloody
0: Crow, holy shit, that took, like, a hundred attempts, you know? Yeah,
1: it's, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's really creative and fun, and then you get the, uh, Clorinthy ring, rune. Yeah. Um, so there's a good reward for it, but, like, you see Eileen, and Eileen is old. She's an older woman, and she's, like, literally, like, haggardly breathing, like, outside the steps, like, on her, you know, her dying uh breath, or whatever, and you just kind of see like, ma- like you have, you get that feeling of like, wow, like I respect, like I respect this character's like response to her duty, but also everything about her life seems tragic and pointless. Yeah. And I, th- I think it conveys it really well. Where it's just a very simple, pretty easy to follow quest, but they all have good story beats and then good combat. Like you get to fight Henrik with dual double team Henrik. You get to later fight the bloody crow of Kanehurst and like they're really fun fights. And you get good rewards and you get good story. That's a quality quest in my opinion.
0: Uh, You can also fight Eileen herself. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple ways to do that. I don't remember how to get her in the quest line, but one thing you can just do is fight her when you meet her. And what's really cool is if you just attack Eileen right out the gate, I, I don't remember the exact line. I'm sure I'll edit it in, but she says something.
2: Look at you, you sorry drunk. I'll string you up like the filthy beast you are. You shall not abscond your crimes. Were you not once a hunter?
0: Similar to what we were talking about with Priscilla in Dark Souls 1, she like admonishes you for your actions. She's like, oh, you're a beast already, you know? And I guess I'm going to hunt you too. It's so nice that she's like, I'm the hunter of hunters. And then you fight, and then the second you attack her, she's like, this is why I hunt them. You, your actions here, your beastly actions are why
1: I exist. I'm going to fucking murder you yeah you know and she might cuz she's very strong and the other really big quest i really like i think it's like has my favorite questline thing in any of the games is alfred's quest right which also will give us a talk about kanehurst for a second so to to get this quest really going you have to find a secret summons and get to Canehurst, the coolest place in the fucking game it's literally a carriage pulls up with no driver and the door slowly opens and then when you get in it just takes you to just like a frigid, like, w- uh, winter wasteland, and a like, castle's in the middle of it, full of these horrible blood tick spiders that do so much damage. Yeah, and like when I first got there, I like frantically texted Ross's paragraphs as he was sleeping, <laughs> just like how fucking cool. And you go through, and it's all these like kind of half severed head ghosts, like you're in fucking Harry Potter. Yeah, as you climb through this tower, and like the guard girls come to life, and everything is just visceral and pops, and all in Kanehurst.
0: Yeah, Canehurst is your classic, like, vampire mansion, you know? I, I I love it to death. All the enemies are really are really fun. I like going into the rooms and there's just like a hundred ghosts in there. Just these these weird, like Victorian ladies. Yeah. You know, in their in their nice dresses and stuff. But then some of them will like scream and that will freeze you in place. And the other ones just like pull out knives and stab you. And it's this horribly violent place. Yeah. You know? That like It's obsessed with blood, like all the we get all the blood things. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just this beautiful Victorian castle, and it's nothing but blood in there. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's your blood. And my God, like everything in that place just works. Every little bit of it just
1: fits exactly where it should be. Yeah. I'm all sure. the way to the end. Phenomenal yeah. boss. Phenomenal, you know, phenomenal uh, everything, really. Phenomenal scenery. It's it's truly one of the most stunning places in all of Front. Yes. Period. Yes. But when you get to the end of Cainhurst and you beat uh, the legendary Modern Ligarius, you get his crown. If you put his crown on, it opens up a door behind his throne room, because of course it is, have you played a From game yeah. at this point? You know,
0: his, his throne is on the rooftop, the the frozen, snowy rooftop. And then if you put on his crown, it opens a secret door behind the throne that leads to the actual throne yeah. room. Where I the, believe Queen Annalise is her name. I yeah, I don't know her name. But yeah, I, that sounds right. But
1: yeah. the queen is there. The queen of Canehurst, And you can't talk to her until you kneel. Yes. She'll, like she, make, she'll be very indignant. She will not speak to you. And you, know, you talk to her, and you can find another Kanehurst summons that you got in the room. Yeah. And that's how you can do Alfred's Quest. Alfred is an executioner for the church. Yeah, they are anti the vile bloods because the way they've been using the old ones' blood, which I think is so cool, because like, they also use the blood badly. Like, why are the vile bloods worse? Yeah, like, what what is the difference between these people? Honestly, it seems like at least Kanehurst kind of kept to themselves. Yeah, you infected a whole fucking town, so I think it's easy, I think intentional for you to read it as. I don't see anything that wrong with these people. Yeah, Com- Commentary. Yeah. And Alfred is so nice. Alfred is the first character in a From game where you, he'll have dialogue trees open for what you can ask him about. Yeah. Like, he actually, like, is like, tell me about Bergenworth. Tell me about the Healing Church, you know? Yeah, he'll actually give you, like, information about the game. Yeah. And he's voiced by Solaire, and he's just clearly likable. Like, he's just clearly a good guy. And you're just like, wow, it's like a really genuine NPC. And then if you give him the Canehurst summons, he's like, Really? This is like thank you, yeah. you know? You, you got to Canehurst? Yeah, he's like, this is everything. He's like, I've been waiting for, it, right? And Because
0: look, I will say this. To go to Canehurst is one of the coolest little things. You literally you go to like uh this this obelisk in Himmock Charnel Lane yeah. with your with your summon and this ghostly carriage shows up driven by skeletal horses. And you get in, and you you're taken, you know, via cutscene to Canehurst, and where it drops you off, there is a broken down carriage and two ho- horse corpses covered in snow. And yeah, they've been there for a long time, and the implication is that is what got you here, and you're like you've been displaced from time and space entirely. Yeah, you are in a realm unknown, and it's so. So fucking cool because that is also kind of how Bram Stoker's Dracula starts.
1: Yeah, reason I love these Bloodborne quest lines is the reward are the scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Eileen gave you the reward of the bloody curl of Caners and then her dying in the steps, and it, it's like viscerally sunk into my mind. This is my favorite uh, quest line scene of all time, where you come back after giving out for the her summons. And he's wearing the world's stupidest hat, carrying the Ligarius wheel, yeah. which is just a a wheel you hit, it's a trick weapon you can get, covered in just her flesh, yeah, right? The, the queen's flesh. The queen's flesh. And is just kind of, like, maniacally laughing, you know, and and talking, you know, I again, I assume we're going to spice this in. 100%. The, yeah
0: all mangled and twisted with every inside on the
1: outside for all the world to see. (laughs) (laughs) So he sounds like that. (laughs) And it just totally recontextualizes Alfred because Alfred just seems so good in, like, good and pure. And then, like, his entire life, was to just not just murder someone, but murder an immortal so much they can't do anything about it. Yeah. Right? And then he goes to where you first met him, and he kills himself. And you find him dead there. Yeah. And that's, how his, that's his whole quest line. And
0: the queen who he murdered is now a sentient lump of flesh. She can't be killed. She is immortal. Mm-hmm. But he has rendered her into, into a paste- that just sits on a throne, but it it's still there, and it's still alive. Yeah. Very clearly alive. And there's just nothing good here. It's another one of those things where the game presents you with a facade, and then tears that shit away. Yeah. You know, it does that constantly. Alfred being this nice guy, and then he's this maniacal murderer, right? This regal queen that you meet sitting on the throne, now just a lump of flesh. You know, an immortal piece of meat. Yeah. You know? Like, lo- a, like a Doctor Who episode where someone gets turned into a slab of concrete. I don't want to look
1: up Oh god I didn't no, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But don't worry. It's sex life is fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just throat fuck this <laughs> concrete face. <laughs> a real thing in an episode of television. That
0: episode's so bad.
1: No that episode's great. I know I love the episode, but like Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the other thing, too, is you can actually resurrect that lump of flesh. When you kill a behind him, it, her, them. I'm not we sure. can say it. I think that's I think it's fine. It.
0: Yeah, I think there is. I think, I think a- the cosmic old ones have evolved beyond gender. Yeah, I would hope. Let's call it a they.
1: They, yeah. Uh, behind them is a altar to resurrect the queen. And the queen is immediately cool with you again even though you helped her get murdered as long as you kneel again (laughs) yes it also like kind of just makes alfred's whole thing so fucking pointless like and i like that like I actually think it's really creative that you can tell alfred to do all this he tries to kill the queen kills himself you get a rune off his body and then you're like cool that guy's out of the way well that's something else we
0: also see in basically every quest line is the sort of futile pointlessness of everything that they do yeah right alfred can't kill the only person he was des- like essentially created to kill mm-hmm. you know his life's purpose cannot be fulfilled because his life's purpose is to kill an immortal right the immortal's purpose is to reign over people but there's nobody yeah everyone in the castle is dead and the only way to get there is through spectral horse summons you yeah know? and you're the only person that shows up except alfred who kills her right Eileen is the hunter of hunters but is eventually hunted herself. Right? Gascoigne is just a regular hunter but he becomes a beast the thing that he hunts you in yourself. Is- little bit of spoilers here. Sorry, spoilers for Bloodborne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you yourself in what I what I consider the canonical true ending is you eat the three umbilical cords, you fight the moon presence at the end and you become an old a baby old one yourself. Right? The things you've been hunting this whole time, you become one of them. And yes, you transcend the world, but like, in what way? What does that matter? Are you going to start the new nightmare for more people? You know? Yeah.
1: That's just, it happens over and over and over yeah. and over again. Gascoigne's child, right? Like, the only way to get Gascoigne's child not to kill itself is to not do any of the quests. Yes. Just right? don't communicate with
0: it. Yeah, yeah. If you talk to nobody in this game, your body count
1: will be much lower. Yeah, like, everyone you try to help just kind of die. Like, honestly, this is, in my way, is, like, the bleakest of all Absolutely. Of, of all nothing, the fun stuff.
0: Nothing good happens in this game.
1: Yeah. Nobody, to any person in the world.
0: Nobody turns out better for having done this. Maybe the doll. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: she is freed from Gascoigne, who does whatever he likes. His name is... G- uh, sorry, Jer-German. German. This brings us to the part of the game after burgerdworth where we're in the kind of core what what it, all of this is all about what the what the meaning of all this eldritch bullshit
0: is for yeah we, like, we beat rom we transition further into the night you know uh, yeah I the blood the, moon the, yeah rom killing rom summons the blood moon and everything is different and the blood moon kind of looks like the the dark side like we get the dark side kind of back from dark souls 1 yeah it's eventually. really it's, it's really
1: cool like going through previous areas and the skyline is different it just makes it look
0: yeah like, and pretty and cool. Miyazaki is, in some ways, kind of a one-note guy as far as all his games go. Even though, like, that note it has quite a bit of depth to it. But you really just do see the dark side in pretty much every game. You know, like, it's yeah. all about the, the futility of life and things yeah, like that. Yeah. It's deeply depressing, but I think you can find fun messages. It's too. all about
1: cyclical nihilism. But this is interesting because I think this is the most influenced kind of about Miyazaki's life. I've mentioned this in a couple of podcasts, but, you know, Miyazaki uh, grew up poor and didn't start playing games until he played Iko for the first time when he was 27. Yeah. And he grew up reading books. So a lot of this is just, he just loved Lovecraft. He just, like, we know he read a bunch of Lovecraft as a child. I read a bunch of Lovecraft too. Yeah, and and this is clearly influential on him, you yeah. know? So like one thing we, we keep talking about Offcast is there's lots of vaginas in this game. There's We're, so many vaginas in this game. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously... I'm surprised it doesn't have an NC-17 rating. Yeah, a lot of moon stuff. Tends to be about menstruation, just in yeah. in media, yeah, you know quite, I mean? quite
0: literally. Like this isn't this isn't
1: reading into stuff. It's just it's kind of how it is, you know. Yeah, and again, like those are all references to works from the 1800s. Like, of course it is. Like that's just yes. that's how people wrote back then. And so, what w- one thing that I always thought was really interesting that's the watch, listening to the influences of people's lives on the influences of people's lives. Right? Is uh, there's tons of this birth and women and anti-sex imagery in Lovecraft's work himself. Yeah. Because at least his dad, might be both his parents, uh, died of syphilis. Yes. Right? And he was deathly afraid of sex. And, you know, this is a guy writing horror stories about the things he's afraid of. Right? Yeah. And so that's just implicit in his work because they're his own personal fears from his own personal experience. Now, I can't, I'm not going to say these are Miyazaki's personal feels, fears. They might be. I'm also not saying they're not. Yeah. But I think a lot of it was. When homaging the material that he really wanted to homage, being Lovecraft stuff, it's interesting you get all of these kind of, like, Georgia O'Keeffe vagina flowers on steroids. You know what I mean? Exactly. We see that uh, almost immediately in Bergenworth, right? There's
0: these weird cosmic flower monsters... And I can't describe them. I really literally can't describe them. You just have to see them. And that's an idea in Lovecraft's work. It's like, it's such a weird thing. Your mind yeah. can't even
1: process what it is. Yeah, and it, they
0: tried to do that. Yeah. It's, it's got a, it's got a long centipede-like body and it kind of looks like it's got flowers on it. But when it stands up, it looks like a vagina and then it summons, it, it summons like the vacuum of space above Just like, it like a vagina. And, yeah. And shoots <laughs> meteors at you. Um, we've had sex.
1: <laughs> I mean, not, not a, well. <laughs> Find out soon on Lost After Dark. <laughs> um, now
0: I will say this: a lot of people like to shit on Lovecraft for his obvious racism and and all of his many flaws. Right? I'm not about to defend Lovecraft in those regards, but as one shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no point, right? I'm not. I'm also not one of those people that's like, that's like, "Oh, he's a product of his time." Like, I don't really believe in that necessarily because that erases the voices that existed during their times you know we talk about love or, sorry we talk about like victorian england you know being all stilted and anti sex and stuff but that erases the the many women that were writing about those kinds of things and fighting for their rights even during that time you know people aren't simply products of their time the times are ignoring the people that are speaking out you know mm-hmm. that's true of lovecraft as well but lovecraft he wrote psychological horror because his life was a bit of a psychological horror when he wrote stuff that that's like um, I forget what it's called it's, it's something a uh, red hook right It might just be called Red hook where it's this it's this absolute hell town that literally has a cult that summons the devil and you know everything becomes hell and stuff it's it's a good story. I describe it badly, obviously, right. He wrote that about the place he was living in because he hated his life, yeah, you know he hated where he lived and the poverty the poverty that he existed in. And, like, Lovecraft wrote about his experiences. Yeah. Right? He wrote in a way that represented the psychological horror, the existential dread and pain that he felt all the time. Mm -hmm. You know? It's not a judgment on if he's good or bad about it, but he wrote that very, very well. To a degree that, like, we see that. We understand what he was talking about. It's not necessarily we have to agree with Lovecraft. It's that... We understand what he was talking about in those times, and it's clear that Miyazaki understood what he was talking about. Miyazaki Ooh. resonated with the things that Lovecraft wrote, and that's how we get that's how we get these these
1: bleak games like Bloodborne and and Dark Souls. Yeah. they do such a good job in this game in particular, and kind of making the themes kind of resonate. You know, I always got like a lot of um, Adam and Eve shit from this because of the fruit of knowledge. Yeah, you know, because so much is kind of about like. Knowledge isn't just an obvious good thing. Like, it's dangerous. You know what I mean? And, like, you know, we always... I mean, everything's covered in blood. Apples are red. It's not that complicated to me. Like, its I think it's literally that simple. You know? They just, like, these all these images fit with each other in a way that, like, sinks into your subconscious because you're also always talking about the church all the time. This game has... There's churches in all these from software games, but, like, we're, like, intimately... Like, the church is... Every figure in the game is kind of related to this church, right? And so it kind of makes you think about religion in that sense, because in the world where the ultimate truth is just Cthulhu monsters, (laughs) right, it doesn't leave a lot of room for faith, you know? But you see characters of extreme faith, and you see those characters, they're not like Velstad guarding the king. They're horse heads in a pile full of corpses. Yes. You know, they just evoke a lot of, like, stories that everyone's heard, right? Everyone knows some Lovecraft. Everyone knows some Bible. Everyone knows some Bram Stoker's Dracula, and if a story about a werewolf exists, I'm sure they are. Sure, you know, uh, like these are these are things that I think are kind of ingrained in like the zeitgeist of the average like human because this is written by a Japanese guy. This isn't just us. Yeah, you know, uh, the American interpretation. Uh, Were werewolf of, in New York. Good contribution. The American, <laughs> contribution. Yeah. it's werewolf in London. The song edited in. It's not the song. Uh, the movie. Werewolf
0: in London? Yeah, no, there's a movie. Werewolf in New York? Where on? No, probably. I don't know.
1: Oh, well. I mean, there's, there's, there's... It's a well-known 90s product. Isn't there, like, vampires in London? Isn't that uh, Eddie Murphy? Sure. Maybe Brooklyn. I don't know.
0: It's Eddie Murphy.
1: Yeah. This is a good portion of the cast to leave in.
2: Is it?
0: No.
1: Uh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think the themes work really well And they translate into the game really well Right after the Blood Moon section You go to the Unseen Village And one of the things about the Unseen Village Is it's fucking hectic, man Oh the, my god There are people ringing bells that power up all the enemies So you have to run kind of past the enemies To get to the bell people And then fight the enemies You experts, also most likely kill all of them
0: Because if you they kill respawn, all the people
1: yeah. They just get respawned
0: by the bell ringers The bell-ringing maidens. Yeah,
1: And you keep running through this whole area until eventually you see an amygdala on a wall shooting laser beams that you have to run past to get to your first real bonfire. And I will complain about this later in a Dark Souls 3 DLC, but this whole area forces you to run, but it works. Because that's the point. You've just been faced with the truest horror, and the, the literal sky is red. Yes. Right? And you're just running for your life and it's so hard to explore and look for stuff because everything is terrifying yeah right and
0: everything is a little bit too strong to fight because the bell maidens aren't just it's not like a group of enemies and then there's a bell maiden in the middle and you kill her they're just somewhere else mm-hmm. so you run down that stairs with the amygdala shooting lasers and the bell maiden is in the next room I thought
1: there's two laser stairs
0: yeah <laughs> yeah right and then so you kill that bell maiden and you can kill everybody on the stairs and you're like okay I get what's going on. The game taught me how to deal with it, right? You go through the next place, and there's a bunch of ladies, old ladies, that you saw in Hemeternal Lane. And they've got, like, flaming spears and shit. Yeah. Right? But they're all super powerful, too. Because there's a bell ring ringing maiden somewhere. Yeah. And you don't fucking know where she is. And there are a bunch of paths you can go down, and you will not find her. I don't know where she is in real life. I could tell you a couple of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Like... But what's gonna happen is you're gonna run into a room and there's gonna be like a big Dylan there who's gonna try to smash you. There's a guy with a, a Gatling gun and you're oh, like, oh sure. no, oh no, right? There's a, there's an item inside a cage. And you're like, how do I get that item? I don't have
1: time to think about that because this is the wrong room. Oh, good. You're going to need that item to get to up Cathedral yeah. World and, and see tons of, like, the story of the game.
0: Yeah. Like, you tried to fight the old ladies, but they're too strong. And you just started running. And now you're running for your life because everything is after you. And you're trying different paths. And you're like, where? 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 Where's the bell maiden? Mm-hmm. And you go, you go up top and there's more old ladies and you're like, oh fuck, let me dodge the old ladies. And you start running and you see an amygdala on more stairs as the laser beam is ripping through the area. And you're like, fuck
1: me. You know? Yeah. And your reward is to get a bonfire and right past that bonfire is 300 fights in a row. Three, 300 That's fighters at once. once. One of the hardest challenges in the game. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a good like, Oh my god, everything's up to 11 yeah. right after it, the blood. It's incredible, that. too, because they call it... And the- then they give you the world's easiest boss in the whole fucking world. Yeah.
0: I, I love it because they call it the Unseen Village, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, One, it's not a village. Two, you feel like eyes have been put on your brain at this point. Yeah. Right? Like, you feel like you're seeing the world for the first time as it is. There's amygdalas all over the place, just hanging huge and menacing on buildings shooting lasers at you trying to grab you all these dudes are being controlled by these weird bell ringing mains and you don't even know what the fuck those are you know but you finally feel like you're in on the story yeah like something has clicked and you're like you're like i don't necessarily know what's going on but i do feel like i can
1: see it yeah you know so so you were right Abrigus what was i remember now because the end of this Abrigus was an old one that yeah. they're taking the blood from one reborn is their attempt to make an old one. Yes. You know, he's a really easy, dumb boss, but when you see him, it's all this disgusting, massive. Like, it's just, it's just nightmare fuel. Yeah. You know? And to, to really hammer home our
0: previous statement that everything in this game is just vaginas, you know? You literally see it birthed. Yeah. yeah. From, from a, a hole in the sky. And it's like, it's not just like, oh, it slithers down, you know? It's, I'm not reading into it. It looks like a birth. Yeah, yeah. It's this slimy mess of of
1: flesh that comes out of a, yeah. a hole in the sky. And, and once you conquer this easily and finish Unseen Village, you walk forward and it's a room full of the people sitting in chairs with the menses cages on their head. And it's just a cavalcade of dead bodies, like all petrified to death or whatever the fuck happened. And when you touch the body, it sends you to the nightmare of Mensis and it starts like the end game. Yeah. It it is supposedly
0: Mikolash's actual body. Yeah, it's Mikolash's body, for and, sure. And
1: every all, all of
0: the people around him, like, there's dozens of people all around him. They're also just, you know, these, these dried out corpses with cages on their head were his students. That what you're seeing in that room is the entirety of the school of menses.
1: Yeah, and it just does it just does it so well because you get right after the bloodborne, you're teleported here. You run through Unseen Village, and then you're at the Nightmare for Vences. The, the sorry, Nightmare for No, it's the Nightmare for Vences.
0: Oh, you have to... The, the oh, dollar grabs you. Yeah, you and, and, and you
1: here. get the tonsil stone. Well, the, the tonsil stone... that one building.
0: The tonsil stone you have to get beforehand. Yes, it's, and it's then, actually, then you, can, you can grab you, and The tonsil you stone will actually appear at any window you speak yes. to after Rom, I think. Yes. Could, it's, no, it's not after Rom. It's after... But it's something close It's after to somebody, but...
1: I right. just did it before Rom.
0: I just know I did it before Rom. Sure. It's... A, yeah, because you yeah you get in Forbidden Woods normally. Um, yeah, so it's after it's, it's, it's after Vicker. Yeah, it's after Vicker. Um, but it's patches who gives it to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool because it it literally takes whoever would have been in the window and replaces them with patches. And in this game, patches is just a human head on a spider body. Yeah, yeah. and he fucks with you a little bit, like in the normal patches way. As far as the Nightmare Frontier goes, he'll like you know push you off a cliff, right? But it's so cool that. It's also really fucking creepy that no matter what window you go to, it implies that patches is stalking you. And whenever you when you go to talk to your next NPC in a window, patches takes their place and gives you the tonsil stone. And when you're picked up by, by that amygdala that takes you to the nightmare frontier, that's patches being like being like, "Oh, amygdala, be kind to this poor bastard."
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? Such a good route line. But uh, to 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 talk about the sequencing thing at the end or whatever. It's, yeah, once you get through the Unseen Village, you literally go to the Nightmare of Mensis, look up, and you see a fucking Eye of Sauron shooting frenzy into you. Yeah. Spears of frenzy. And everything just seems like a hellish nightmare world.
0: Yeah, The the... There's werewolves here that walk like men, and they have big, they can carry, like, torches and stuff. They also have sideways mouths. Yeah, that's the thing. Their, their mouths are, like, the thing, you know, for the, the 1980s thing, where their heads just, like, split open, and it's just nothing but a jaw. And they're fucking strong. Yeah. And you, you just, that's another place you just have to sprint through. Yeah. You can fight them. There's obviously ways to get through where you, yeah, no, like, you just, dodge the yeah. frenzy and stuff, but like. You just run past spider hell and
1: fight, if well, you, you, I, you run,
0: you run past werewolf hell, you get into the, you get into the big mansion, you know? Which is spider you, hell. <laughs> not yet though, right? Cause there's like the weird, the weird servants that walk around and like some of them are, in, they're like little miniature people. No, it's not quite yet. You
1: open up the big doors in Nightmare Mensis and you're in the spider. Room. Then it's the mansion. You're right. Because I got stuck in the Spider room for a while. Spider-Room can be really annoying. If you, if you try to do it properly, like the way I I I, do I it, kept trying to do Nightmare slow, and then I stopped.
0: Yeah, like, you can do mm-hmm. Spider-Room slow and proper. You can, like, go around the, the, the side, mm-hmm. and you can shoot the spiders one by one and, like, aggro them slowly and kill them one yep. by one. Or you can just run through because there's fucking nothing for you in that room. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't. Just don't deal with Spider-Hell. You know, but if you don't, and deal then with, a really hard the hunter, problem of the problem, harder hunter fights. Yeah, the problem is if you don't deal with spider hell, you cannot deal with that hunter. What you're supposed to do is sprint all the way through, get the bonfire, and then come backwards and fight that hunter. I,
1: I don't. I just uh, use the truck, point
0: of the door, and kill the spiders, and then fight the hunter. You could do that. Sure, there's definitely ways, but that's still dealing with spider hell.
1: You know what I mean? If you yes, just, but I if I have a, I have a path only aggro is like three of them. Oh sure. Yeah, like you go, up you the go stairs, up around, kill a bell maiden. You kill two on the ceiling, and then like three follow you, and not even that many usually. And you kill sure. Them.
0: I just sprint through the room, get the bonfire, and then turn around and kill kill the hunter. Yeah, fair enough. That hunter is also my least favorite hunter in the game. I love that hunter. Because he has the rosemarinas and... Yeah, it's uh, brutal. <laughs> yeah. So, hunters in this game, they have this weird thing where they have infinite stamina and bullets. Yeah, and their guns do damage in this game. Their guns do an incredible amount of Your damage. Your gun doesn't do damage. Yeah. And my so, gun did damage once. <laughs> uh What they... What hunters can do is just switch between attack modes, like, instantly, and sort of do whatever they want, whenever they want, for however long they want. And so when you're fighting, like, this hunter, you can have a normal fight, and then instantly he can pull out the Rosmarinus, which sprays this fog that does crazy fucking damage. Preposterous damage. And can just, like, insta-kill you. And so that hunter just kind of has an insta-kill move. That is not true of all hunters, but those mechanics are always true. The, The hunters you fight have infinite stamina and bullets. And boy, they will always take advantage of that,
1: you know? Don't get hit by a mist scrub. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, like, I actually like that hunter because he's the most terrifying hunter. The, the one hunter you, you encounter in Nightmare of Mensis yeah. is just absolutely terrifying. And everything you see in Nightmare is just the scariest version of everything you've seen in the past. That's right? true.
0: They have uh, winter lanterns there.
1: Yeah. Oh, we haven't really talked about Frenzy yet. You want to... You wanna, yeah, we've we, we, we referenced it in disgusted tones. Yeah. So there's there's a few different
0: um statuses in this game. What is Frenzy? One, I don't really know if it has a name, but it's it's like Beast Blood. And it's related I Beast
1: Hood is the Beast Hood, yeah,
0: probably. And it's related also to Insight. All three of them are, are interconnected. So Frenzy is a status effect that if it builds up fully, it does a huge chunk of your health and damage. Kinda like bleed in other games mm-hmm. and stuff your resistance to Frenzy goes down as your insight goes up. Which, typically, as the game progresses, your insight just goes up, unless you're spending it. Yeah, actively to <laughs> Yeah, like, pretty actively. So, normally, by the time you get to Nightmare Remensis, you will encounter the Winter Lanterns and have very low resistance to Frenzy, and they will fucking destroy you. Because they build Frenzy like nothing else. And Frenzy's, like, a weird sad effect that if it starts, it
1: kind of keeps building even after you, like, take cover from whatever's frenzy. It depends on the thing. Uh, the the lanterns do that. Yes. Not all frenzy does. The lanterns are so annoying because it's line of sight and then it keeps going after line of sight. Yeah. It's kind of bullshit. And they have a grab. So they're like the worst enemy in like from software history. Yeah. I think. Probably. Yeah. 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 You can negate the frenzy by using a sedative but like literally to run past like a bridge full of four winter lanterns I drink five sedatives. Exactly. Like, I'm you, just literally throwing them into my body. Yeah. You don't negate it by drinking sedatives. You can negate it by
0: chugging sedatives. Yeah, yeah. And so frenzy is, of course, tied to insight. How the higher your insight, the less resistance to frenzy. And on the opposite side of that is your beasthood, which is sort of connected to frenzy, or is sort of connected to insight. In that, it is harder to build a beasthood meter if your insight is higher. But generally, you, you don't get a beasthood meter unless you're eating uh, beast blood pellets or using a particular weapon. What that does is, with every strike, you build your beasthood meter and you do more damage with subsequent strikes. It's really used a lot in speedruns and stuff. But it's kind of the idea of like what happened to the, the hunters, you know? They became beasts themselves to fight that which they hunted. They
1: became stronger but more fragile.
0: Exactly uh and and at the same time you know they they didn't have like a lot of insight they they lost what was real in the world, yeah. you know and became beasts themselves so like there's this cool you know triangular mechanic of status effects that goes on. But frenzy is fucking miserable when it comes yeah, to the Winter Lanterns.
1: It's usually just miserable. but They do some cool effects with it, like when you get caught in the Amigdala hand, especially before you can even see the Amigdala hand. Yeah, you get frenzy, and then you find out you're in the hand of a of a great one. And the first time you actually get to do this is um, to really like do, see Winter Lanterns and see the hell that is frenzy is when you go to the Nightmare Frontier. We mentioned it earlier, but you get the tonsil stone, you can an Amigdala drags you here, right yeah. and that has, I think, the meanest Patches moment in any game ever. Where if you are near a hole, you'll see a cutscene from Patch's perspective, and he pushes you in a hole. It's a hole full of a bad item. It allows you to turn into the notes on the ground. Yeah, as camouflage. It is a cave full of winter lanterns. It will, and it's poison. It, yeah. it will hundred percent kill you. Yeah, it's, there's virtually no way out of
0: there. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and it's just fucking bully shit, you know? But that's kind of, I think, the first area you really see Winter Lanterns. And you can get there kind of relatively early. Yeah. And I got so mad before I realized what they were, because it was right before the boss, and I'm turning a corner, I'm like, oh, what's this thing? And I start hacking at it, and they just explode from frenzy damage. Yeah. Because there's just a Winter Lantern just standing. And then I try to fight it two more times, and I'm like, I guess I just run past these guys. I just never fucking fight them. Yeah.
0: Frenzy is a truly terrifying mechanic in this is all right. So actual spoilers for Bloodborne PSX, the DMake. if you're interested in looking at it, it's on itch di- itch.io. I'll link it in the description. It's an extremely, extremely good game, but it's a DMake of the first part of Bloodborne and uh, the creator added a little bit extra after you fight Gascoin, who's technically the final boss of the thing. Well, supposedly is the final boss, but she transitions the world into a, into another state. And you go to the sewers, and you see the pig that was in the sewers before, but he's been speared to the ceiling. Just this bloody mess of a pig with spears in him. And I was like, those look like frenzy spears. Yeah. yeah. Like, they have a distinct shape to them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And underneath the pig is an item, and you pick it up, and it's like five sedatives. And there's been no frenzy in the game. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do not give me sedatives. And I walk into the next room, and you hear the distinctive singing of the Winter Lanterns. I'm like, this fucking game yeah, yeah. has added Winter Lanterns! And it's unbelievably tense and terrifying. To, to You have to run through central Yarnum, avoiding Winter Lanterns that are unkillable and will chase you around and will frenzy you to death. Yeah. And, like, there's not other sedatives. It's yeah. a joke to give you the sedatives. Yeah. You know? It's just a way to, like make you shit your pants because yeah. any any veteran
1: of the game is going to be like, no.
0: Mm-hmm. Not said it is.
1: Yeah. And that's what they do really good in this game is the frustrating mechanics do kind of serve their lore purposes. Like, I, like I've like i already mentioned before, like, I hate the Nightmare Frontier, but, like, the whole lead-up to it is so good. It's like, first you get this, like, one of my favorite cutscenes, the Amygdala grabbing you and, and the poor bastard Patches line, right? Then you're in goopy school, right? This just, like, yeah, the uh, lecture hall. Right? Yeah, the lecture hall. But like, it's this abandoned school, right? And all the students are like goopy water people. Yeah, you know, and they're really not strong. But like, with a bunch of them gang up on you, they can be kind of annoying. They can stagger you a lot. But like, like you, I literally just go to a like a big ass actual lecture room, like like a yeah. five hundred or like three hundred person classroom maybe, and then just like chuck fucking maltovs and like the whole group of them, and they're just like. Rah! It's super fun, yeah. And they and they just like you're not afraid of them as enemies. You sympathize them as previous characters. They do that really good, right? Yeah. Is you think like, oh, what fucking happened to these people? And it leads into the nightmare frontier, and it's just stuff of nightmares. Like there's these water like creatures in the poison swamp. I don't know what they fight like. I just never fucked with them. They're kind of just I tentacle monsters. Didn't yeah. even consider it because everything else was so hostile already. Yeah. It's the first time you see the like the Lordran wolves that have like the weird sideways mouth. Yeah. You know. It's the first time you see a winter lantern. You know, there's giants throwing boulders at you. It's the first time you get to actually fight an amygdala at the end of it. Like everything about the nightmare realms truly speaks like terrifyingness. Exactly. And frenzy can be a frustrating mechanic because it's a bad mechanical mechanic. But it definitely, when frenzy happens, like your butthole times. Like, like that's what they're trying to do. They're exactly. tra- they're trying to make that visceral reaction.
0: Yeah. Frenzy is your character losing their mind. You know, it's yeah. it's the classic Lovecraftian you've seen something you shouldn't have seen and you will go mad now. And it kills you generally. But mechanically it's bad, but yes, lore-wise it's it's really interesting. It's it's pretty fun. And I like how there's only like a few status effects in the game and they're all lore
1: related. The one thing I'll say about Bloodborne is Bloodborne has, like, the smartest coat of paint over everything. Yeah. Like, what they choose. Even just calling, like, Magic Arcane and making them Hunter Tools and making them, like, kind of artifacts. Like, that's that's evocative. That feels like you're playing, you know, Call of Cthulhu board game nonsense. And that's actually,
0: this is kind of something I want to talk about later when we do talk about Elden Ring. Is, I've been saying for a long time that, like, make games smaller, right? Bloodborne is the smallest of the whole series. It's Mm. quite short. We're kind of at the end of it already. Yeah. We, we've described most of the areas. But it is also the most aesthetically pleasing. It has one of the most followable storylines. Not precisely, but more people know more about Bloodborne than they do about, like, Demon I Souls. I know Xbox about
1: Bloodborne than about Sekiro, and they tell you the story in that game. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And Sekiro is also, like, kind of small,
2: you know? Yeah. Comparatively.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to other Souls games. And, you know, w- again, we'll talk about this with, with Elden Ring, because it's. An absolutely massive open mm. world. Like, unbelievably huge. But Bloodborne gets away with a lot of shit by being small and focused. Yeah. You know? We talk, like, in our boss ranking, generally speaking, most of the bosses in the base game are kind of bad. Yeah, and you the know? things they added to for length, like, Chalice Dungeons, are garbage. Yeah. Like, we didn't need that. Not a huge fan of Chalice Dungeons. Yeah. But... Things are Everyone <laughs> loves Bloodborne, and so do I, because every moment of Bloodborne, like, you don't like a boss, it doesn't really matter, because it's not a huge portion of the game. Mm-hmm. And the game itself is only, like, maybe 15 hours long. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> you don't like a boss in Elden Ring, you will fight it six more times. <laughs> yeah. You will spend a lot of
0: time with that boss. And so, Bloodborne just gets, a lo- gets away with a lot of shit by being small and
1: focused and really, really, really well made. You know? Yeah, and it feels good to progress through it. Like, you feel that, like, that progression through the core story points, yeah, with the with the time of day changing and kind of like little like power checkpoints for your character, like oh, yeah. I'm on blood chunks now, and now my weapon is like this upgraded. They really feel really good, and I get really excited about what I'm doing with my character because you get so intimately attached for each run to be a trick weapon run. Exactly, there's so much depth in the trick weapons. It actually has a really high replayability because the games are short, and you're like, "I'm gonna do this whole game with this trick weapon." Exactly. Undoing. There, there's few.
0: There's really no other game in the series that can have such like easy restarts as Bloodborne. Yeah. You know, like committing to a Dark Souls one or Dark Souls three run uh, is still a time investment. But if you ask me, like, uh, oh, do you want to just like
1: do a Bloodborne run? Like, yes, I can do that very quickly. Yeah. You know, I beat Bloodborne. Like, in a week. Less than a week. Then I went in New Game Plus to ROM the same night. Then I started a new file, and I beat that Bloodborne, and then I ran to ROM again on my New Game Plus. Exactly. Like, the last time we've done that, that happened really for this cast, was like, I, don't, I guess, actually Sekiro, but other than Sekiro, yeah. was uh, like Hollow Knight. Where, like, I just kept playing Hollow Knight. Exactly. I just kept doing, you know, and it just kept being fun. Like, I beat the game, and I'm like, oh, I'll just do it again real quick. Exactly. Like, I, I
0: never quite stop playing bloodborne. Yeah. You know? I never quite put that game down. Uh
1: but I think this is a good time just to kind of close out like the end of the game and then kind of extrapolate into the rest of our points. So do you want to finish Nightmare of Mensis? Anything uh
0: Nightmare of Mensis, it has a couple of cool aspects aside from, you know, just the whole nightmare thing. There's the big brain eye the b- brain covered in eyes that you drop down and you do the uh make contact gesture. That you find in a side area. Yeah, and it gives
1: you, like, the best version of the Silver Covenant Serpent Rune.
0: Yeah, but it's kind of funny. Like, you have to really have a lot of patience. Because you gotta... You start the gesture, and it's, like, 45 seconds or something before it transitions to to the second part of the gesture. Yeah. And that's when you get the Rune. And it's kind of interesting, because they just drop this big defenseless eye. This horrible monster.
1: Completely
0: defenseless. And they put you in a hole. And they say actually do a gesture that takes like a really long time to like it's called make contact and And you find it
1: in the upper cathedral world which is like oh bitch and a half to
0: unlock yeah but the idea of make contact is this is a gesture that was used to you know literally make contact with with the great ones right and this is a completely defenseless sort of great one right and you can either make contact with it or just fucking kill it Yeah, and most people are just gonna fucking kill it. You'd be like, oh, wow, a defenseless enemy, right? But if you take the time to make
1: contact with it, it's gonna give you probably the best run in the game. Yeah, it's also really cool. I actually really like the the fact your arms switch with the make content, because the idea is your hands get tired making the L, yeah, and then you just shift it. And then the idea behind that is this is what they thought the make contrast gesture was. The the way they communicate as the animal, yeah, and they're just wrong. They just did it backwards. They just did it wrong, yeah. And then eventually, you just kind of find it on happenstance. Like, yes, they contacted the great ones, but they don't quite know how they exactly. did it. Um, and I and think that's really cool. In like in that whole area, we find them in contact is just full of the church's secrets. Like you find the abridus they have yeah. buried in you the. See den. all
0: the all the weird uh, baby monsters and stuff in there. Yeah, brain the suckers are fetuses. literally
1: sucking your insight away. Yeah. When they grab you. Uh, and on
0: top of that, it's a really arcane gesture. Like, it doesn't mean anything to you as a player. You're just, like, yeah. making a big L with your hands, and then you shift it the other way. And somehow that means something to the cosmic being you're talking to. And you don't know what you've just said, but there's a communication happening. Mm-hmm. You know? There's something linking you to the great cosmic beyond. And in a way, it kind of puts you in the shoes of all the all the NPCs that you've talked to. all the, All the people... That like made this world happen, mm-hmm. you know, of like a little bit of insight into what yep. they were thinking, how they thought about the
1: world. It's it's the most
0: defined setting, absolutely.
1: Like like when you're going through, you know, up a Cathedral Ward, you know, you're learning about the choir, and you can see the choir's clothes, and you can read their clothes, and it tells you about them, and they're different. When you fight a hunter, like that hunter in a uh, Nightmare of Nensis with Rosemarie's, yeah, he is from the choir. Yeah, I know that from his clothing. You know? And, like, that's cool that you can do that. Now, that gets a little too far where everyone's trying to find these tiny pieces of information and trying to make, like, a more cohesive narrative to, towards it, which is just not what you're ever going to be able to do with yeah. a From game. But you really feel kind of the visceral, like, what each group, their what their follies were, what their, you know, successes were, like, all those sorts of things, yeah. you know? What what they were trying to do. And, like, the Nightmare of is, I think, actually, Accentuates is really well because it's... Uh, completely hellish, but, like, the brain is attached to a chain, like, they, I don't think the brain did that to itself, the big eye, you know no, what I No, mean? I have
0: no idea what the lore behind the brain yeah, is. Yeah,
1: I don't think we know, right? But, the, at the end of the day, like, it's there, assumably by human intervention. And after you run past it, before you pull it down, you run into Mikolash. Who literally doesn't understand he's dead. Yeah. Like when he dies, he says, I'll forget everything. Yeah. He, he will cease like, to exist. He's <laughs> like, I'm waking up now.
0: But also, yeah. I, I think the brain may be like an experiment by the, the school of Minsus mm-hmm. because it's this huge brain covered in eyes and they're big on eyes in the brain, right? Mm-hmm. The school of Minsus is a is an offshoot of the, Willems. Yeah. Willems school, right? Berginworth, sorry. Yeah. And one of the first things Mikolash talks about is he's like eyes. I need eyes. And inside Mikolash's boss room, all the walls are covered in eyes. There's spider webs, and the, inside the spider webs are eyes. You know, yeah. that's where that's what his nightmare is: is the eyes. And this this weird brain thing that's chained up, covered in eyes. It just feels like maybe they made that thing. You
1: know? Yeah, and- maybe that's another failed one, like the like the. When we're born, yeah. Know? Also, if you kill Willem, uh, you get the eye rune. It gives you better item discovery. Exactly, because they're great at doing that in these sorts of games. But yeah, this also is when uh, you you see this in the unseen village. But uh, a lot of the stuff you've already seen, you now see the kind of their true forms. Like all these big fucking pigs, they now have like eyes all over their their head. Yeah, right? you used to always see these crows that sounded like dogs. But now the top of the crow is like a dog's head or vice versa. And this was always like, this was always hinted
0: at too, which Mm -hmm. is interesting because in the very beginning you fight a bunch of crows and the crows are like pretty terrifying and powerful, but they make dog sounds. Yeah. When they, when they go at you, they're (laughs) like, but it's like legitimately, you hear that and you're like, that sounds like a fucking dog, you know? Like why does the crow make that noise? And then later the crows have dog heads. And you start wondering about if you if you what you saw
1: before was real. I straight up thought I was in a baby's dream for most of this game. You might, and might. I also like might be right still. That's the
0: thing. You might have been right because the last boss, uh, Murgo's wet nurse, you essentially kill a baby, an invisible baby, an invisible baby. Something
1: they've used more than once, shockingly.
0: <laughs> and, and you get the you get the message nightmare slain. Yeah, at the end of it, right. The implication being, you have you have destroyed the veil that's sitting mm-hmm. over the world. That's also like what happens when you kill the moon presence is you sort of destroy the hunter's dream and all of that. You know, yeah you you destroy all of the veils that are like over the world and you, everything becomes what it is.
1: Yeah, you know th- th- this leads to my favorite. I think like kind of the archetypal quote in the game is when you're going through the lecture hall. There's a developer note on the floor and it's just it's not. A develop it's a piece of paper you can read usually they usually don't let you do that yeah Uh, and it says uh, evolution without courage will be the uh, end of mankind right and I think it's really interesting if you look at all the character like Willem wanted all of this knowledge he just wanted to understand and make contact with the old ones but there was really no purpose right like Mikulash you know enters the nightmare dream just to be closer to the truth. They're just trying to transcend their own thoughts. They're not trying to, like, transcend humanity as a whole, right? And and Lawrence is just giving people healing blood to try to, like, alleviate the suffering of the world. Like, everyone is trying to make the world better, but also the world is itself not really trying to change.
0: Yeah, but um, also their, their perspective on what the world is or should be is extremely limited to their own perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like... Yeah, everybody's trying to do good, but they're only trying to do good within their limited understanding yeah. of what of what that means. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, intelligence without
1: wisdom exactly. in this game.
0: Exactly, exactly. And this goes back to uh, what I was saying earlier about, like, like uh, disinterested science, you know? The idea of, let's do science, but let's not worry about why we're doing science, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That's the kind of shit that leads to, like, the atom bomb and stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we can make, you know, we can make nuclear power, but... Mostly going to make bombs
1: yeah it's it's also interesting going with uh when you meet Willem, you know he's sitting in front of Rom the vacuous spider, like assumably yeah like kind of worshiping him, right, and he's just an idiot old guy, Rom is vacuous because his head is hollow, and yeah, it's a big fucking rock, and he just worships this potato spider guy just because it's there because it's you know because it's because it's, it's as close as he's gotten, yeah, to the old ones yeah to to, to the cosmic. Truth, you know, to the you know the truth being you know buried under under the city and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't, it just, I just think it speaks enough where it's like the game isn't trying to give you an answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like all the Souls games, we're all kind of you know stuck in these like cyclical patterns, and there's like a real nihilism to all of the actions in all of the games. But it just makes you just consider like the value of the intelligence, or like what knowledge we should be seeking. Like a lot of people in this world would be better living in ignorance. Yeah, you know. This is also
0: the only game in the Soul series that doesn't explain how you stay alive when you die. There's no in-game explanation as to why you keep coming back
1: from death. I mean, it's, there's there's the dreamy weenie bullshit. That's,
0: that's the thing. It's like, unless... It's not really explained. Unless your but... death wasn't real. Unless you just died in a dream. Yeah. You know? And by the end of the game, you're really not sure if that's true or not. If yeah. you've been in a dream this whole time. If what you have uncovered now is not but a larger dream yeah right if like that's what's cool about the moon presence coming down is the moon presence as as bad as a boss it is the moon presence shows up and carries this implication that like the moon presence is what's causing everyone to like it's all it's all the hallucinations all your all the questions you've been asking the moon presence has the answers right Mm -hmm. but you just kill it yeah and you don't get those answers. You actually end up being turned into a little
1: old one yourself. Hey, you, you get a
0: lot more questions, actually. <laughs> exactly. You just get more questions, and it's unclear if you have solved anything mm-hmm. at all, right? And to me, that's the that's the actual canonical ending of the game. That's like the real ending, yeah, true ending,
1: yeah. Um, the, to get that ending, you don't exactly have to do this, but one of the things I really like that I think is a is a good little side story. Is there is a prostitute you could let into the upper cathedral ward. Um, and then she gets impregnant with an old one's baby, which just keeps happening yeah. throughout Bloodborne's history. Like the Thumerian queen, the Thumerians are the people who made the child's dungeons where we found the old blood, uh, was clearly was pregnant. You can see like a yep, still burst blood stain thing on her or whatever. And then when you get I think past Rom, you can find the prostitute in the sewers with her Dead or like her baby fetus, it's clearly a demon, and then just sobbing until it turns into maniacal laughter, like she's the Joker. You know what I mean? Like the truth dawning on her like destroys her, and there's only one thing you can do, and it's kill her and the baby. Yes, it's to free her from this like from her madness. Yeah, from 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 the madness that you know you know is caused from truth. It's a very Lovecraftian idea that madness is just us realizing the truth. Yeah, right. And, like, that resonates so well. Just the, Everyone who sees the truth just becomes a husk, you know? Everyone who fights for something, like Ludwig in the DLC. Lawrence becomes a cleric beast. You know, at best, we get Willem, who's just a senile old man sitting in a chair surrounded by no... Exactly. You know, except for his students who are now mosquito people, right? Yeah,
0: and that's where I think this, this game departs from like the previous philosophies that we've Mm -hmm. seen before like this isn't existentialism anymore this is like true nihilism Mm -hmm. you know so existentialism was always was always championed mostly by like sartre right and sartre has this has, has always had this idea that like the things you do you have to take full personal responsibility for because like in any given situation the way you act should be the way that you think everyone in that situation should act yeah. Right. So, like, if if you see a car crash, you know your options are like, okay, I I just leave. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna fuck with that, or I'm gonna go help the person, or I'm gonna call nine one one. Right. But the actions you take are ostensibly you saying this is what someone in this situation should do. Anyone in this situation should do this. Yeah. Right? That's the the Sartre's existentialism is is this ultimate personal responsibility for for your actions, whereas Bloodborne. With its pure nihilism is just like no one really has responsibility for anything because you can't you don't know anything. You can't ever really take responsibility for the things that you've done. You can do things, but you don't you never know what the consequences of those things are gonna be. The best intentions will fail. Like mm-hmm. everything fails in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know? Uh and it's it's yeah, it's brutal, but it's an interesting philosophy to contend with. Uh the the idea of just like truly nothing matters. Nothing you do can actually matter.
1: Yeah. The way your endings look, right? You have one ending where you just let Gurman kill you. Yeah. Right? And you wake up as a normal person, move on your life. Another ending, you just become German. You take his whole job, his doll and everything. You know what I mean? And the last one you become an old one and all that it is is just something else that you seemingly don't have a lot of control over. Exactly.
0: It's just dreams within dreams, you know? Yeah. Uh, what what's what's the real truth you don't know and you can never know, so why
1: bother? Yeah. You know? And, like, I, the game, I think, just kind of ends kind of well on this point because, like, all that's really left in Nightmare of Mensis is just you fight Murder of Wet Nurse, which we talk about, you know, in the boss rankings, obviously, and we already talked about the, the, the baby dying and it's saying like Nightmare Slain. And at that point, you're probably confused on what's happening and when you go back to the Hunter's Dream, everything's on fire and yeah. you can start the final boss. <laughs> or you can just let Gurman kill you, and you already beat the final boss. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah, it just, you know, I don't understand how the hunter Dream's on fire, or what's going on, or what uh, any of this means. Yeah, you it's know? metaphorical. Yeah, yeah, but it evokes what's trying to evoke, I think, really well, and I really, actually, really enjoyed the end of this game, and, you know, I like uh, Murgo and Gurman. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I think that it closes out, actually, with some real fights, you know? Yeah. Because I was Moon Presence, but whatever. Yeah, you it's, know, we don't, we don't talk about Moon Presence. We yeah. talk about Gurman. yeah.
0: Yeah, so this game, you know, ends uh, it definitely in some confusing ways, but I think that's sort of the point. You're not really supposed to understand what
1: yeah, went on. And you're supposed,
0: yeah, you're supposed to look back on it and embrace that confusion and explore that confusion, right? Yeah. They want you to put some eyes on your brain.
1: Yeah, you'll remember out. how you feel during every time you encountered a place for the first time. I think exactly, and they do that really, really well. Like Kanehurst in Forbidden Woods in Central Yarnum, all stick out in my brain like vibrantly. As the emotion I was feeling as I played them. Exactly. So that's kind of most of our thoughts about kind of like the game as a whole. Kind of like eschewing lightning round because all these things have been going so fucking long. Yeah. Into just things that we like and dislike about the game that we just haven't had time to mention. So the first one I kind of want to talk about, it's so annoying that I just forgot it even existed, is your weapons have gem slots on them and i find it tedious and boring and poorly worded and everything about it i really don't like
0: yeah it's super confusing there's different like shapes of gems and each shape like the triangular shapes tend yeah. to use like magic and stuff so they buff your weapons in weird ways and usually unfortunately the the best way to do it is to just scroll through them until your numbers turn blue which means they're higher mm-hmm.
1: and just equip that one yeah it's just like a tedious unfun thing early when you get these It's like, increase your attack by 0.8%. And you're like, why the fuck do I care? And so many of them are like, 17.2% against beasts. And you're like, fuck. yeah." So like, it's just something I didn't enjoy tinkering with, because it's just not that... I don't feel clever making my numbers blue instead of red. Yeah, it's
0: it's nothing to think about. And,
1: And then to get the good gems, it's horrible horrible chalice dungeon grinding exactly uh where you just have to get rare drops from you're talking about like one percent drops from from deep chalice bosses the bosses yeah and just over and over and just creates like a diablo play loop in a from game and like i don't know why like just because you thought bloodborne's too short you had to like honestly make it like this i've only
0: i've only ever seen it in like the most dedicated pvp bullshit you know
1: yeah, and PVP not popular in Bloodborne. It's exactly. arguably the least popular PVP in the whole fucking series. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it's just like a whole shame of a system where you can't really engage with like the really really high level Chalice dungeons or high level PVP without it. Yeah, and that's miserable. Do you mind if I talk about Chalice dungeons?
0: Yeah, because
1: yeah. I I know you have uh, some
0: negative feelings about Chalice. Yeah, dungeons. everyone does, and so do I. Because Chalice dungeons are mostly trash, Unf- unfortunately trash yeah they're a cool idea but they get boring so quick and there's a bunch of unique bosses but there's a ton of not unique bosses we're like you can just fight rom in a chalice dungeon
1: yeah you know the only cool thing about the fight is the arena we took that away and made the arena smaller exactly and chalice
0: dungeons mostly just kill you and a bunch of them give you like horrible debuffs that make it super super hard
1: and half health (laughs) yeah
0: the later ones uh, some of the bosses will just like one shot you kind of no matter what power level you are. But there's there's a bunch of like actual unique bosses down there. I said this at the beginning. And a unique trick weapon. <laughs> yes, and a unique trick weapon. I said this at the beginning. The only bosses in any Dark Souls or Soulsborne game that I haven't ever fought are in chalice dungeons because I cannot be fucked to do chalice dungeons. Mm-hmm. I just I don't have that level of of sadism, you know. But thankfully, I'll say I'll say this much there are modded Chalice Dungeons that you can look up online that will give... Basically, people create a Chalice Dungeon offline. I don't know how to explain it exactly, but they, they create sort of their own Chalice Dungeon. And it'll be like, this Chalice Dungeon has a unique item, the Beast Claws, which only exists in Chalice Dungeons. Normally, you have to have high-level Chalice Dungeon ingredients to access them. What these modded Chalice Dungeons will do is they let you get those Beast Claws on basically the base-level Chalice Dungeon stuff. So all you have to do is is be able to have access to Chalice Dungeons at all, well, and you can get the Beast Claws, which are a unique weapon. I never would have gotten and are actually my favorite weapons in the game. They're so much fun to use. And then there's the famous Cum FPK, which you can just enter and get like 200,000 souls instantly and just keep redoing that to infinite souls you know yeah so there's uses to those modded chalice dungeons but beyond that like chalice dungeons are actual actual fucking garbage but
1: like the main chalice dungeons you do a chalice dungeon to get parts to get another chalice dungeon to get parts to get another chalice dungeon and it's just like an infinite cycle where you don't get good rewards like the best you can get on average is maybe a cool gem and gems aren't cool like i already said that and i, I will say this they're
0: For a long time, Chalice Dungeons are not completely procedurally generated. There is a limited number of Chalice Dungeons in the Mm -hmm. world. For a long time, for many years, there was a bunch of people, basically on Reddit, that were dedicated to exploring all Chalice Dungeons. Basically like a covenant that they created themselves, where they were dedicated to exploring and documenting every single Chalice Dungeon. And a few years ago, they succeeded. Yeah. They did all of them. And, like, that's so fucking cool that Mm. they they, did. Basically, did what the people did in Bloodborne in itself, right? Where they just like they delved as deep as they possibly could into these chalice dungeons, and that's like one of those moments where the community really comes together and makes something interesting yeah. out of it,
1: you know. And, and if you want to play those like games that are have the long grind and you slowly get like good loot that upgrades your weapons, and you want your weapons to be cool and transform and be cool stuff, cool stuff, just play Monster Hunter. You obviously want to play Monster Hunter yeah. if you were enjoying chalice dungeons. Yep. It's just so much this, but on an actual good scale. God, that's
0: the other frustrating thing. Chalice Dungeons will have modified versions of like almost all weapons. I don't know if it's all weapons, but it's at least almost all mm-hmm. weapons. So it's like if you want a weapon if you wanna if you want a strength weapon that actually scales with Arcane, you can actually find that in a chalice dungeon. Yeah. But like fuck off if I'm ever gonna try. Yeah. You I know him. what I mean? That's so frustrating. The, the the depth at which they buried some interesting mechanics of the game.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I really like, it's a very, like, small thing to note, but I think it's really fun in the game, is when you're targeting an enemy, you dash, you don't roll, uh, and it just really makes combat, like, really interesting. It really makes choosing when you target or not to change your movement, and it really overall makes the mechanics of that get in, get your damage, get out, and then go right back in feel exactly correct. Yeah. For me personally. And it's a little stuff like that that that's not in every game in the series. it's just in Bloodborne because they intrinsically understand how their combat works so well, in my
0: opinion, yeah, one thing we have not talked about for length reasons is the d l c um and also there's not a the, the d l c is the best part of the game by far, it and has, a lot of it comes down to the bosses, which we have comprehensively yeah, talked about yeah it has, it has. has tons of the best bosses, oh like way head and shoulders above the rest of the game. Which we've talked about in the boss ranking. We don't really need to reiterate that here. The rest of the DLC Loving for Life. <laughs> the rest of the DLC is pretty good overall. The old hunters is a lot of fun. The enemies are way stronger, way tankier, and really challenges you even at a high level. And some of the best
1: fucking weapons in the they game. They give you the cool so. shit. They give you the coolest clothes, the coolest, cool shit, the coolest, shit, the like coolest weapons. Like yeah. You cools cools guns, yeah,
0: you get in there, they immediately give you a a cool ass uh set of armor, yeah, right they give you uh the beast cutter, which is really cool, they give you the boom hammer, which is a lot of people's favorite weapon and
1: a lot of people's favorite weapon they give you the Gatling gun they give you Gatling gun uh they give you in G- a cave that just has a blood star beast inside of it, a boss from earlier, yeah, they
0: give you all kinds of cool shit in the in the dLC uh, like Way uh, above some of the shit you, yeah. you get otherwise. A bow
1: that's also a blade, like cool, like ideas that are. You unique. get the Moonlight Greatsword. Yeah, my favorite weapon in the series. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Not, not the Moonlight Greatsword, the Bloodborne Moonlight Greatsword. Yes, it, it, it's actually phenomenal. For, oh, sorry, Uchi exists in uh, Elden Ring, greatest weapon of all time. Oh,
0: I'm sorry, it's not quite as good as the Moonveil, but yeah. See, the Moonveil has extended range because it sends out time feet. issues.
1: <laughs> Uchi for life. <laughs>
0: But the DLC is a ton Gucci, of fun. Gucci. I think it does have some some issues. That's not like completely good.
1: Yeah, they, they have everything. one of those uh freaking NPC quest lines where you have to reload the area. Yeah, so I like, literally am just like chugging uh fucking. It's also just a, like, like a river of blood with
0: a bunch of ticks and stuff. It's mo- it's it's kind of a problem we've had in DLC moving forward, mostly mm-hmm. where it's like it's got a lot of run through spots, you know? Yeah, which isn't always. Sometimes it's fun when that's the design, but sometimes it's
1: just like, ah, these enemies aren't worth messing with. It's much better than it is in 3, in my opinion. But yeah, the the River of Blood and then later, like, mages and sharks on the way up to uh, the bonfire in Hamlet Village. I I essentially don't do, from the
0: first point where you can, like, get the boom hammer, Mm -hmm. basically, like, like, from Lawrence's boss room all the way to Ludwig's boss room, I basically don't do that. Okay, I see. You know, yeah. I just run through that shit because there's like too many enemies. They're all kind of traps. They're all kind of tanky.
1: On some playthroughs, yeah. On other playthroughs, no. Yeah, I'm, uh,
0: yeah. Like, I have done it before, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, none of these guys drop anything valuable. Mm-hmm. Nothing.
1: There's no reason to fight all these guys. One thing I think is really cool in the DLC is they have these like big fuck off guys in uh, the first and last DLC place. Uh, one are the weird elephant people yeah. who look like they're from Battlestar Galactica to me. Because uh, they have, like, a weird futuristic gun. And then the shark guys. And they're just, like... They're just kind of, like, mini-bosses on the overworld. And, like, honestly, like, in w- a game where your weapon is so, like, specific, right? You have to, like, really learn the moves of your weapons. And you're constantly getting new weapons in the DLC. Yeah. I really like they're around. They're really fun to practice on. They're yes. fun fights. And I also think the DLC just does... Is, this is a good tradition they have. On They find out the weakest parts of their game. And they really patch it up in the DLC. Some people don't like in Bloodborne that there are not that many types of characters you can build. But now you can build a Strakes Bluntinge build because we have this weapon, yeah, right? Because they made weird weapons yeah. in the DLC. Yeah, I like to do rangers and have shields. Well, here's a weird magic shield. Here's a bow sword, you know? Yeah. They just give you things to make the whole texture of the game look different. Yeah, and, I, and that's
0: really impressive. Yeah, and I can't, I can't say it enough. New Game Plus is so fucking fun on Bloodborne. Like... Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Way more fun than your first run through, mm-hmm. right? You should like your first run through of the game yeah, cuz it's, it's so bad the short. bosses are, sorry. Yeah, well, your first your first run through the game, even doing DLC, should be set up. It should be the character building. You should go into new game plus with your full build and your new weapon and just tear shit up. Mm-hmm. It's so satisfying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, I think beyond any other game in the series, I've never had so much fun in a new game plus run.
1: Yeah, honestly, yeah. Like, every time I think about the Moonlight Greatsword, I'm like, I still have a Moonlight Greatsword new game plus run that's, like, halfway through. (laughs) One one miserable
0: failure of Bloodborne, though, no respects.
1: Yeah, that is, I always forget. Yeah, you You always forget until
0: you're like, oh, I'd like to try something else. And then, like, it's easy enough in Bloodborne because it's so short to try
1: something else, but you do have to play the whole game. Yeah. Uh, uh, One other thing I'd say I really like about Bloodborne is I think I really like how good all the items are. Right? Yeah. And at most games, I call things by their Dark Souls name. I don't do that for some things to the Bloodborne. I call resin, quote unquote, paper. Because you have fire paper and bolt paper. Yeah. And it's so cool in Bloodborne. It really you is. You just put paper in, like... Weaknesses are really easy to deduce in Bloodborne, because... There's like two of them. Yeah, there's two. Like, furry creatures are weak to fire, answer weapons. And oh. aliens are, or, you know, old one people, are weak to electricity. Yeah, you just can do that with your yeah. eyes. There
0: is a hidden unholy mechanic for stuff that's like the Canehurst monsters are weak to unholy, which you don't know exists except like some weapons are from the Holy Church. Cool, something I'm learning right now. Yeah, so like the the church pick like mm. does more damage. That's so cool against some enemies. Because I love the church pick
1: because it's kind of holy. You know? There's so many weapons where just the description of it, like, gets you hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. uh, the Burial Blade that German uses, oh. it's a scythe or
0: a sword. So that's one thing I would say is, a, is actually kind of a negative about Bloodborne, though, is that some weapons you just can't get. You can get Spiritual them in War. modded Chalice Dungeons. That's the other beautiful thing about modded Chalice Dungeons. Like, you want to do a Burial Blade run? You can do that with a modded Chalice Dungeon. You can get one early, mm-hmm. you know? You, otherwise you have you literally have to be Gurman, the final boss mm. yeah you know to just get the one weapon for new game plus it's fine again new game plus is incredible but a lot of people don't want to have the dedication to play the game twice to use one weapon. Mm-hmm.
1: Honestly, there's a lot to say about Bloodborne. I think, you know, the aesthetics and the theming are really good. But to me, the number one most important thing, you know, we've been saying this whole time. Trick weapons. Trick weapons,
0: yeah. Oh, I was making a joke. But uh, yeah. No,
1: that's the answer. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I thought you just, I, I was like, yeah, you're really vibing I was going to
0: argue for trick weapons Yeah, no, said anything that, else. That, that, that,
1: uh, good job. Uh, they, they just feel like your baby at the end of it. Right. Yeah. You know? Even like the dumb weapons. Like I remember being like a Ligarius wheel and you were like, Oh, what do you think of the weird weapons? Like Ligarius' wheel. Yeah. And I'm like, I haven't used it yet, but everyone online is just like it's a wheel. <laughs> it's so fun. One. I love this wheel. And I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna like it. And then I used it, and I'm like, Ross, it's a wheel. Exactly. You hit people with the wheel. I'm so excited. Elden Ring has a pizza cutter. Nice.
0: I've I've got one. Right? And oh, the, the, the Whirly Gig saw Yeah, it's a Whirly Gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it's, that in Volcano. Ex- yeah, exactly. You get one in Volcano, Manor, but here's the thing: Spoiler, does that exist. I'm playing. A, I'm playing a, a co-op run. I can get two. Nice. Can you? Can you imagine power stancing Whirly Gig Yeah, yeah. You can't. Don't say yes. You can't. Yes, I can. It can't be done. I played a lot of, of Whirly Gig It's really, really powerful. Strength weapon. I
1: love Warlock. Yeah. Alpha. Honestly, some of the videos of people just like tearing through Ludwig oh, like they're yeah. a fucking mad Burr. scientist, you know? It's wonderful. Yeah. It really is just so, like, yeah. the weapon design is so impeccable. There's like so, like, I think the boringest weapon in the game, the Kirkhammer, Ross described earlier in this podcast about how cool As it is. As fun, yeah. I and, like it's probably the boringest weapon in the whole fucking game. I also think it's boring.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Tonitris is boring.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's
0: good and yeah. f- and actually fun. Like, that's there's no not fun weapons. Here's the thing. Well, it's, for, it's so hard to do. Here's the thing. There kind of was a, a not fun weapon, and it was the Beast Claws, right? But in the DLC, they added a rune that you have Got to get it. from Lawrence that turns you fully into a beast when using the Beast Claws. So when you two-hand it, you don't just have, like, two claws that are a fist weapon that are bad you transform into a werewolf and both your hands yeah. are claws now and you get a whole new move set so they in the DLC they said fuck the beast claws being bad they're going to be unbelievably cool yeah and i've done a new game plus run with just beast claws and oh my god there's nothing more fun than just tearing through yeah. your enemies with that shit yeah
1: you you get a frickin' uh core parasites thing you just get tentacle you arms gotta cost parasite it's similarly levels of stupid. Yeah,
0: you you yeah, you become like a giant mushroom monster, and you cast magic and do
1: all kinds of weird shit, you yeah. know? The, one more small aside, another thing, is just like because I'm the parry guy, I just love parrying so much. I remember every time I do parry, he's like, how do you parry? Don't you have both hands on your big-ass sword? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then later I was doing a, a Ludwig Holy Sword run, because I was really excited about the weapon, but I was doing an arcane strength build, because I was trying to hit as many stuff per gameplay yeah. as possible. And I realized that the Arg of Abritus that shoots out tentacles can parry things. Yeah. And then I'm like, now I'm just parrying people with a big fuck off sword. I got really good at it. It's like harder to time the parry, but I'm like, I'm I know I know everyone's parry. I, I, mean, I have
0: I have parried the shit out of Gascoin with with Cost Parasite. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's so fun. It's ridiculous. And it just feels wild and cool and it's, like special as it grabs its arm and just explodes outwards. Yeah. It's just like everything about these weapons is just so cool. And honestly, the cospair parasite is kind of bullshit. Yeah. It's kind of a terrible it's, weapon. It's actually
0: not even that good. Well, it's so fun. And that's, that's, a that's lot the lot of fun using it. That's the truest beauty. If you're just here for gameplay, that's the truest beauty of Bloodborne. Is every build is fun. Mm-hmm. There's just I nothing
1: with Bloodborne. There's just nothing wrong with Bloodborne. I love Blood Tinge. You know, yeah. um
0: just talking about it, I'm just like I just want to make a Bloodborne character right now. Yeah. I just want to do something
1: stupid because the game lets me do stupid shit. Yeah. The fucking Chikage is just a fucking blood sword. Yeah. And it's just... I, that's, the Chikage, I know i don't just like yelling nouns and curse words and, 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 but, <laughs> and saying it excitedly. Ch- Chikage's
0: been in other games. Like it's famously in Dark Souls 1, you know, it's in Dark Souls 3, mm-hmm. right? Chikage is just, is always been a sword that you can like stab yourself with and now it does blood damage, mm-hmm. right? Bleed usually.
1: It's so fucking good in in Bloodborne. Yeah, like you sheath it and you pull it out and it's like a, you you see like the yeah. specks of blood coming off and like the bloody uh Crow caners uses, uses the shotgun. And it's terrifying. It's so funny cuz if you're
0: when I had a lot of trouble with Bloody Crow when I first started playing Bloodborne, Noob. I would actually <laughs> sorry no you you don't even know half of it yet. I would actually let him bleed himself with the with the Chicago and just dodge his attacks for a while and his health would slowly go down uh, because I knew I could beat him once but he had a flask and I couldn't beat him twice mm-hmm. right? So I'd her—I'd literally let his health go down until he drank a flask and then I'd start fighting him Yeah, because I'm like now I can fight you. You only have one health bar you know? Before you had two and it just keeps hurting himself with the Chicago, and I'm like that's a funny way to cheese that fight. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like oh you're going to use
1: the weapon that hurts you? I'll let you do that. You know? <laughs> yeah and like uh, one more thing on kind of just like the, ne- the last negative thing I kind of want to say is there really is some sort of like some of the items I think it's a somewhat similar problem in Elden Ring are like kind of poorly flavored like like uh your souls you can pick up like like Soul of Lost Hero in old Dark Souls games that give you consumable souls in this game it's called like Frenzied Cold Blood 9 you know and it just doesn't evoke anything yeah. you know like bold hunter mark Kind of like I don't know what that means. Like it doesn't evoke the the homeward bone. There isn't a lot of items that you care about because there's so few trick weapons. Yeah, so you're just kinda you just kind of get and get frenzy cold blood in the world or like madman's knowledge, which is actively a drawback a lot of yeah. times because insight gives you frenzy death. So like in a lot of ways, it's like you don't have that same I'm exploring every inch of the world and getting the enjoyment as you would out of Dark Souls, but in the other ways. It plays like Sekiro, where you're just playing an action game, you know? Yeah. I think there's some argument that there shouldn't be RPG mechanics in this game. You should just, like, level up, like, you're, you should just do it Sekiro level up style. You just level up your strength.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. I do uh, like the separate builds, though. That's yeah, you no, know, it
1: is fun to do builds. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely enjoy that. Maybe there's a way to just tie it to the weapon. Maybe so, know, You know, yeah, yeah. You know there, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, yeah, you could redesign this way in, this game in a number of ways. But But it just plays smooth. In uh Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, I feel like I'm always in a point at some point in the game where I'm like I need a bunch of crap before I go forward. Yeah. I guess I'll grab this uh Estus shard, I'll grab the Smith Oh yeah, there's two large Chinese shards over there. Yeah. Let me and you just you just feel like you just have to like do errands. Exactly. Right? In Bloodborne, you just you just run to a- encounter to encounter. Exactly. And they're great. S-
0: start to finish, you never really have to stop or think about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, uh, because, yeah, the numbers are, are, honestly, I think it's some of the best tuning in the whole series, but I, yeah. On,
1: on the non-bosses.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: Like, 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 they made Lawrence have so much health that they can't have tuned that right? yeah. <laughs> Part, part of also what,
0: what's super fun about Bloodborne is you always kind of feel overpowered in a way. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking about yeah. this
1: a lot lately. I was kind of scared of this game and it was easy to me. Oh my gosh. Relative to the rest I of the I think it's the
0: easiest of the whole series.
1: Yeah. I yeah. don't know if
0: I'd say that because Demon Souls exists. Well, Demon Souls has like the easiest individual bosses, but it's still like Souls yeah, Demon combat. Souls has yeah. Has, I think I think Bloodborne combat is inherently easier than even than Dark Souls combat, right? Because mm-hmm. the, there are different combat systems.
1: Ironically, I've been starting to think that about Sekiro too, and it's kind of, it's just so non-genius. Yeah, Sekiro
0: is like not even a Souls like, you know? Yeah, but
1: it, I'm I'm saying it's like you have so much control over what happens when you know how the boss fight works. Yeah, if that makes sense? Yeah. Whereas like. You know, we keep seeing Elden Ring fights between with each other, where you're just like, well, that was some dumb bullshit that I just saw happen to you?" And you're just like, "I don't know when I was fucking supposed to fight you." Exactly,
0: again. exactly. And th- th- that's exactly a problem I've had in Elden Ring is it seldomly lets you feel like terribly overpowered, and it's something I've been like, "Ah, oh, just disagreeing that one." But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I think I think it does if you've built correctly, which is hard to do. But Bloodborne through the whole fucking game, you just feel like a monster. Mm -hmm. tearing through enemies you know (laughs) yeah and bosses that can be true in later souls games right depending on how you build depending on how good you are at the game right obviously you can you can do that kind of thing but bloodborne i think more than any other game lets you do that elden ring is like it can be hard it can be hard to build properly or to even know how to build in dark souls 3 it can be similar where it's like okay i i didn't build super good so now i'm having trouble with like in-game bosses and stuff you know, um, Dark Souls 1 especially has that problem. But Bloodborne is like, it doesn't really matter. You know, are you using mm. a strength weapon? Go into strength. Yeah. Other games make you worry about, like, can I wield this weapon? You know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, in Elden Ring, it's like, ah, oh, does that weapon have a 17 arcane requirement? You know, like, sure. Bloodborne just does not have that. If it's a weapon, you can use it. Yeah, th- There's not a lot
1: of, you need this stat to go up. Exactly. Which, uh, Elden Ring, in my opinion, has that stat. It's health. Yeah, that's that's true. Right? For, again for the average person, if you don't get hit, it doesn't matter how you build. That's how all games work. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think
0: I think the builds in Bloodborne are simplified in a way that other
1: Oh yeah, it's a really right. tight, simplified thing. You Which get is, less diversity yeah. with the builds, but you get really tight builds. Yeah. And like my first two runs were Dex Blood Tinge and Strength Arcane, and they both just like They sing to me. Exactly. You know? And I didn't have to dip into the Blood Tinge or the Arcane in either of them. I just did it for the content and it felt really strong. Exactly. And they will just annihilate bosses. You know? For the most part. Right?
0: It's something in other Souls games where you're like, okay, I have a lot of those bosses where I just have to bang my head against them for a while. Until I figure it out. Until I do good enough to get past them. Yeah, Bloodborne doesn't have a lot of that. It has a lot of just beat that ass. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's... So satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if anybody was was questioning if they ever wanted to play a souls game, if they're like, I don't know about souls, play Bloodborne. Honestly, I think it's the I think it's one of the best entries to the series. It's short, it's sweet, it's beautiful, it's fun, it's aesthetically pleasing. Just pick a weapon and have fun. Yeah. And Bloodborne lets you is the only real game that lets you do that.
1: I get that my soul Dark Souls one, obviously, because
0: sure, um, I'm with with experience and hindsight.
1: That's true. Yeah, right? I, I I think also just, it's uh I think I uh, really the suggestion is based on the person. If you know that person is like, oh, you kind of like vaguely steampunk stuff, yeah, you should play Bloodborne. Sure. And it's like, oh, you just play D anD D nonstop. Yeah, play
0: Dark Souls. But I think I think you know we haven't talked about this, but like Bloodborne is most people's favorite Souls game. You know? uh, yeah, I think I think it's just kind of a very vocal part of the fan base, but yeah, I understand that. that might be true. Yeah, it's what I hear most though. Like uh, people are like, "Oh, my favorite Soul game is
1: always Bloodborne." You know? Yeah, no, it's it's extremely beloved. You yeah. know, but that is
0: also kind of true of like all the Soul series, except really for two. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will defend two, but few people will ever put it as their favorite. Yeah, you know? I've seen I've seen there's kind of been
1: a counter push for that lately because yeah, this whole like it's. Look at all the DNA of 2 and Elden Ring. Something we should just it's save. It's just some apology, yeah? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think
0: it's fine. Uh, yeah, Uh We we did 2. Yeah, yeah, we got, we we got 5 hours on we 2. We fucking did 2. It's fine. It's, it's not a bad game. God, it's like... It's not as good as 1, 3, Bloodborne, Elden Ring, Sekiro. It's the worst of the and series. Demon's Souls, you know? And Demon's Souls. It's the worst of the series. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. You know? But that's such high bar. You know what I mean? It's just yes. like being... Do you, uh, do you know what the worst... Mo- ah, that's not good now. now mind. <laughs> Never mind, we went on for that. Um, the last thing I just kind of wanted to be like, that I just, like, I'm so happy this game exists, is the DNA that goes into the other games feels so good. Visceral attacks made perfect sense in Bloodborne and felt really good. And that's one of the funnest parts of Elden Ring, in my opinion, right yeah. now, is there's that feeling of... You opened up the fight like you get rewarded for consistent pressure. Yeah, you know, and that they, that turns into a posture mechanic in Sekiro, and then later into a combination of the two in Elden Ring, and it just works so well. And you just every time I just I'm just like, thank God for Bloodborne. This is the game that moved us away from the Dark Souls one like methodicalness of some of the fights. Yeah, you know, like I love Dark Souls one, but there are sometimes you're washing a fucking skeleton with a shield, nothing is happening. And you're like, you yep. attack, you attack, you attack. And that's- we don't have to do that anymore. Uh, I think a lot of that's because <laughs> of
0: Bloodborne. Exactly. I, I think there's a- there's a clear, uh, Bloodborne-Sekiro-Elden
1: Ring pipeline that has led to some of the best souls ever. The stuff that Miyazaki puts all of his efforts into? Is the Miyazaki touch? Did the Miyazaki touch with the- this, that's what the fingers are in the Elden Ring! It's the touch! He touches It's the Miyazaki!
0: It's his two fingers- that's why when after Godric, when the two fingers go stiff, that's like Miyazaki. Uh, I'm not gonna finish that. Phone. It's anal, yeah, yeah anal, yeah. anal fingering, yeah, yeah. But like, your soul's hole, you know, my soul's hole, the hole, the, whole, anal finger the hole in your soul. Are you gonna play this troll toll? <laughs> to get inside this soul's hole? So, so the L, so the the ring, right? The dark, the dark, the dark sign, the dark sign, right? It's a ring around nothingness, right? But that's where that's where Miyazaki comes in with his with his fingers.
1: You can do the outro. I'm gonna go.
0: <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. Check us out. Uh, links in the description. Discord, Twitter, Twitch, all that good stuff. Uh, we have a lot of fun with this. We right, are going to be releasing our car. boss ranking for Turtling Bloodborne heavens, soon. Uh, next next couple weeks. And after that we're gonna be doing a combination of Demon Souls and Dark Souls 3. We're gonna actually put those two games together because I that think that's I the best way when to. When and
1: we're gonna try to keep time. it not as long as this somehow. We don't know it's possible. Oh, we're not going to do
0: it. So, and then after that, Elden Ring, and then we're free. Our souls are free from the souls.
1: Oh my god.
0: Well, Sekiro is
1: a delightful little...
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of side honey for, for the both of us.
1: Uh, but look forward to that. Fuck side honey. When you gotta fight gods but <laughs> none of them live up to it Give up just that
0: One, two, three.
2: Bloodborne. Da, 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 da,
0: da. Oh, I get it. It's the um, what's that song called? Hey, yeah. I was trying oh, to get hey, yeah. Out. Out by Outcast.
1: Yeah, let's cut this.
0: I will. Honestly, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be funny to say it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> not my. I don't know. Yeah. It
0: won't. I don't like. I don't like it when I say it. I. I might keep it in. I don't like it when I get too No, meta. you should.
1: I didn't even want to keep it even when I started it. Yeah. I just like saying cut this. Uh, uh, yeah. That's the joke. Was... But sometimes
0: we take it to a new meta level and it's like... No, oh, you take sick.
1: it to a new meta level. <laughs> it's how I do it. It's my when favorite. I say cut this, I genuinely mean
0: it. I want to start with that right there. <laughs> like just a, a mode of silence and then when I say cut this, I fucking mean it. Yeah, yeah. It's conceptually funny that I cut it, but I left in you yelling about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: What could that be? Find out never. <laughs> we'll never talk about it. We'll never remember even what it was. It's been
0: outcast from our memory. Heya. <laughs> now you have to keep it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it came together so well at the end. <laughs> Unlike like Unlike this song. Oh <laughs> God, I had a good segue! <laughs> Heya's great, fuck you. <laughs> I was gonna go straight into like, let's start with birthing fucking Cthulhu fetus. No, actually they're not. Alright.
0: That was a lot of comedy we can't keep on (laughs)